Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every week. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing The People vs. O.J. Simpson American Crime Story. Now I say versus, it's really just V with a full stop. I always wonder whether I'm getting that right. I should be saying versus or V. I mean, it's shorthand for versus, so I think either way you're going to be right. I always think about the V in... Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, <laughs> and how that should have probably been a versus because they weren't going to a judicial uh, judicial <laughs> hearing about uh, each true. other's grievances. Um, it's going to be a big show today. I'm looking forward to talking about this one a lot. Um, should we get straight into things? Yes, please. Off topic, hot topic. Uh, that's whatever you were talking about for you. So off topic, hot topic is the segment where basically we just get to talk about things that aren't our uh, featured sort of story today, our featured review. And uh, I want to start by just saying we really want to talk about Avengers Infinity War because we both saw that today. Uh, yeah, it's only we been did. a few hours since we saw it together. Um, and But what we're going to do instead, because we know this is a very um, sensitive time for spoilers and we would like to talk spoilers, we're going to have that segment. We're going to save it till the very end of the podcast. Um, so if you want to hear our spoiler thoughts on Infinity War, um, watch, listen to the rest of the podcast and then jump in at the end. We'll let you know. We'll remind you again at the end that's going to be there. You can hear it there. But I will just give a quick, very, very quick impressions and just say that I liked it. And if you're a fan of the MCU, I highly recommend you go and see it. What about you, Damask? Yeah, I like. I really liked it. Um, I hated how everyone died. Yeah, yeah, that was a bit of a downer. Yeah. Why would you yeah. do that in a movie? Um, MCU being over is very everyone, sad. everyone, don't worry. I didn't just spoil you. No, I, <laughs> I loved it. And the more I think about it, the more I like it. Ooh, that's good to hear because I think yeah. a few people are worried it might happen the other way for them. Uh, okay, let's get into our normal sort of stuff then. Brian Fuller Watch. Um, this week we found out that David Tennant, David Tennant was almost cast as Hannibal Lecter in the Hannibal series that, that Fuller was behind. He was the showrunner of. I mean, I can see why people would be excited about that, except all I can think of is him playing Barty Crouch Jr. <laughs> and how much I hated that performance. I hate that performance. You, obviously, I like, Hannibal Lecter does that, like, <laughs> noise. Yeah. Um, and so, I just imagine Barty Crouch Jr. doing that. Oh, God. Yeah. That was a bad David Tennant performance. Just the, like, the, all the tongue work he does in that. In that mm. role, I hate that role. Uh, all right, got some fast five headlines for you for today. Um, again, we'll just go through these pretty quickly that we have in the past. A young Spock will appear in Star Trek Discovery Season 2. How do we feel about this? I mean, I didn't really like or find it necessary to involve Spock's family in the first part one and two of Season 1. So, it just feels like stunty stuff. You know what I mean? Like... 
yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, I know. It's a bit weird. It's. I suppose I mean, once you include yeah. his dad, it's inevitable that he's going to be in it in some way, no. especially because Michael essentially his sister. It's <sighs> like it was going to get there eventually, but it does feel very um, on the nose. Yeah, they shouldn't have set that up. It's so dumb. It's just it just makes the universe like you're thinking about. Obviously, Starfleet is very important, but it makes the universe feel so much smaller when it, mm. everyone's destiny is wrapped around the same few people over and everyone's over and over, and over again. Everyone's related. We are funny. From what I understand, though, um, it's been revealed that it's probably not going to be adult Spock who would be actually would be on board the Enterprise as a young science officer. Although that might happen too, but that this was confirmed because there's going to be flashbacks to young Spock and young Michael. Of some right. sort, apparently. Okay. Apparently, is the rumour. Jesse right. Clemens to fight Dwayne Johnson in Disney's The Jungle Cruise. Now, I only bring this up as a headline because this mm. is like the fifth jungle movie that The Rock has made now. <laughs> we had Jumanji, which was a massive hit over uh, over the end of the last year into this year. Journey to the Mysterious Island, very much jungle heavy. Welcome to the Jungle, the one he did with, um, what's his name? The guy Don't from... Know. American Pie, the I can't remember. Oh, the Sean, that guy. Yeah, yeah Sean guy. hasn't been in a movie for ten years, guy. Um, <laughs> and I think I feel like Rampage, at least, at least by the tra- the trailers, had jungle stuff in it. Right. This is like his fifth or sixth jungle film. I mean, maybe the guy just likes filming in tropical locations, and I that don't begrudge be him that. Yeah, couldn't blame him that at all. Just don't. I don't want him to get like you know typecast as being jungle guy. In every movie, <laughs> The Rock deserves better well, than that. Well, his latest film will be in like Trump Tower, right? So that's right. Yes, the Trump Tower that's, movie. That's off type. Good on him. Because <laughs> that was the trailer ahead of, of uh, Infinity War was skyscraper and like yeah. just talking about how hey, you've made this this massive skyscraper. Everyone's inside, but what happens if something goes wrong? Just like what happened in New York a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Netflix releases first images from Maniac starring Emma Stone and Jonah Hill. Now, this is a series I knew nothing about. Yeah, um, I didn't hear about it until you mentioned it earlier, yeah. This is a show It's based on a Norwegian show of the same name. And the Hollywood Reporter explains that it's about two strangers who find themselves caught up in a bizarre pharmaceutical trial gone awry. The cast also includes Sally Field, Sally Field sorry, and will premiere later this year. Um, so all we really have is that description and the photos that we saw. What did you make of it from what you saw? Um, well, firstly, I think it's a pretty incredible cast to be having on Netflix. So it's pretty amazing. The pictures, I don't know. It's just, it's skinny Jonah Hill, which is distracting because <laughs> all I can think of is, wow, he's really skinny now. It's um, it's just, it's interesting seeing someone like Emma Stone who right now feels like she's in like the prime of her mm. movie going career. Like she did La La Land recently. She's, you'd think making whatever the fuck she wants to be making. So the idea that she's also making a mini series or a TV series of any sort for Netflix seems like Okay, cool choice, I guess. Well, like you said, she can make whatever she wants to make right now because her was... career is hot. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just, yeah, interest, that's interesting that that's where we're at. Where t- you can be both doing the biggest star in Hollywood almost and mm. be making TV shows as well. I mean, the fact that Meryl Streep is now doing TV kind that's of good speaks point. volumes. Yeah, absolutely. Benedict Cumberbatch, this is co-star's pathetic Sherlock criticism. <laughs> so, this is a follow-up to a story we talked about a couple of weeks ago where, um, what's his name, Freeman, whose name of all of us, Martin, Martin Freeman, Freeman, thank you, uh, was ha- talking about how making Sherlock became less and less enjoyable for him mm. um, because basically the fans were putting some expectations and demand on the show 
just because mm. it got so popular so quickly, it just started to get ridiculous. When people weren't getting what they wanted, they were um, dissing on, the, they were hating the show too much. Anyway, in this interview with the Telegraph, Cumberbatch was asked about Freeman's comments and said, "It's pretty pathetic if that's all it takes." For you, sorry, it takes to let you not want to take a grip on your reality. What, because of expectations? I don't know. I don't necessarily agree with that. There's a level of obsession where the franchise becomes the fans, even though we're the ones making it. But I just don't feel affected by that in the same way, I have to say, is how, was what Benedict Cumberbatch said. Mm, trouble in paradise, the uh, two yeah, lovers. I would love <laughs> Do you feel like that does reflect any sort of trouble in paradise? Pathetic is an interesting way of putting it. Yeah, I pathetic mean, is a strong word. you can read the word pathetic with a certain amount of vitriol that he may, to, may not have put into it. I, I mean, I don't know. Look, it, yeah, it sounds like, I mean, he, I think passionately disagrees, but doesn't mean he doesn't respect Martin Freeman or yeah, the, not, that don't enjoy working together. Not looking into it too much. And the last headline this week, in unearthed call, Robert Durst admits that he may have said too much on the jinx. Uh, now, I don't want to go too much into this because I don't want to spoil the jinx for anybody, even though this is kind of spoilers for real life, which we'll talk about in a bit with the OJ Simpson stuff. Um, but you watched the jinx, yes, Damask? I did indeed. And how did you find it? It was incredible. It was thrilling stuff and a wonderfully put together docuseries. In a sea of uh, podcasts about true crime and television shows about true crime, the jinx stood out as being pretty exceptional and doing something that I think a lot of those sorts of true crime shows or podcasts or any documentaries or anything wish they could do. Um, and that is all I'll say. You should go and watch the jinx. But um, hearing that he thinks he definitely had a problem when he watched the jinx, <laughs> after watching the jinx... Uh, I'm I just surprised it took him this long to, to realize actually that? be like, oh, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have said those things. Well, this was the this is unearthed audio. So, this is apparently a recording of Durst speaking oh. on the phone while he was in jail. Um, and this was played recently at a pre-trial hearing. Um, so, yeah. So, he may have re- this may be from a little while ago, but uh, <laughs> just go watch The Jinx. It's so, so good. It's so good, yeah. Damask, I believe you have a reality check for us. Oh, do I? All right. This week on Damask's Reality Check, I will be talking exclusively about the Real Housewives of Atlanta reunion part three, also known as the desolation of Kim Zolciak. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Kim Zolciak joins the women on the couch, and it is one of the most explosive reunions I have ever seen. This woman is the Donald Trump of reality television. She says the worst things and acts horribly to almost all of the women on the show. And yet, when questioned about her behaviour, she either doesn't remember or claims it never happened, despite it being filmed. There were many great moments in which she denies something and the women just simply ask production to roll clips. And they do. (laughs) Many of these women do not get along at all. They've all had fights with each other. They've all got issues with each other. And yet they join forces against this ignorant and privileged woman. It is glorious. They all drag her through the mud and it couldn't have happened to a more deserving person. Now, I often joke about Kim Zolciak being a trash bag full of soiled wigs. (laughs) And this episode proves it to be true. 
At the end of it all, we see behind-the-scenes footage of her going on a racist tirade after she feels victimised by this group of mean black women. Now, she doesn't take ownership of any of her bad behaviour. And it was actually, throughout the reunion, it was something to behold watching NeNe Leakes, who is probably one of the biggest stars to come out of the Real Housewives franchise, franchises, I should say. She's worked with Ryan Murphy before. She's worked on Broadway, done a whole bunch of things. She's a quick-witted, funny, strong woman who takes Kim Zolciak to task. And Nene has no time for her bullshit and she rallies the other women to do the same. Now, I understand if our listeners don't like reality TV. I do, however, ask them to reconsider because the women of Atlanta are strong and genuinely funny characters that articulate themselves in a way that is mesmerizing and engaging. This reunion, part three, was 10 out of 10 great TV of any genre. Wow. There you go. I I was like, sorry, throughout this thing, I was clapping. I was laughing my ass off. It was glorious, the whole thing. So juicy. I just love that uh, she. you said that she is the Donald Trump of reality TV, which is a pretty big burn considering he hosted what is <laughs> a game show reality TV show. Yeah. Like, that's you, pretty bad. I mean, if you can Donald be Trump used to be the Donald Trump of reality TV, <laughs> but that's how terrible this woman is. Sadly, Donald Trump is now the Donald Trump of reality. That's the... That's the <laughs> oh, God. Uh, was there anything else for reality check? No, that's... I mean, this reunion kind of just took up all of my brain space because it was just so good. This was the infinity war yeah. of reality television right here. <laughs> it really was. It really was. It was the culmination of 10 years of stuff. And here Amazing. it is. It's beautiful. Incredible. All right. Let's move on to our season in review. Let me clue you in. Season in review. The People v. O.J. Simpson American Crime Story is a dramatic retelling of the famous 1994 murder of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman and the trial of the accused killer O.J. Simpson that rocked America. Adapted from Jeffrey Toobin's 1997 book, The Run of His Life, The The People v. O.J. Simpson, the series was developed by Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski, an executive produced by Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk, co-creators of Nip Tuck, Glee, American Horror Story and Scream Queens. The People v. O.J. Simpson stars Sterling K. Brown, David Schwimmer, John Travolta, Courtney B. Vance, Nathan Lane, Sarah Paulson, and Cuba Gooding Jr. as O.J. Juice Simpson. The first episode premiered on FX on February 2nd, 2016, with the entire season consisting of 10 episodes, each coming in at around 50 minutes, and took us approximately 8 hours and 25 minutes to watch. At the 68th Primetime Emmy Awards, the season received 22 Primetime Emmy Award nominations, winning nine, including Outstanding Limited Series. It also won the Golden Globe Awards for Best Miniseries or Television Film and Best Actress, Miniseries or Television Film for Sarah Paulson. That's a lot of fucking nominations, by the way. It, it got heaps. Yeah, it got heaps. Fuck. Now, normally this is where we just dive into our spoiler-free review. However, because uh, the events that take place in this series are real, or they're based on real events, and these are all spoilers for your life, and a lot of people already know about OJ Simpson, it's pretty w- widespread and understood, this sort of stuff. Um, we're not going to have a spoiler section this week. So instead of leaving story time with Damask until later. We're going to give that, do that right now. Damask, take it away. Kids, I'm going to tell you an incredible story. Story time with Damask. All right, guys. Look, 
I know you already know this story, so I'm just going to blitz through it, alright? Here we go. Once upon a time, there was a rich man from Brentwood that murdered two people. Allegedly. He left DNA evidence everywhere that solidified law enforcement and the DA's theory of his guilt. He did it. Allegedly. He then tried to flee in a white bronco, once again proving his guilt. Allegedly. He hired some of the most famous and successful lawyers to prove his innocence, despite the fact that he was totally fucking guilty. Allegedly. The defence team manipulated and lied to get him free, the prosecution stumbled time and time again, and he was acquitted. He was proven not guilty by a jury that was exhausted and fueled by a mistrust of the LAPD and the justice system, which, you know, fair enough. And we all learned that in America, a rich dude can get away with murder. Allegedly. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. Beautiful, Damask. That was great. Thank you so much. I put a lot of work into it. Yeah, I can tell. I can tell. But I think that, that, that's, a, that's a good point. Like, this really is... The the basic facts of this story, I think everyone really knows, or you would think so anyway, if you're over a certain age. Um, in fact, let's start there. Let's talk about why we chose to review this series. Now, this was your suggestion, so I'll let you explain this one, please. Well, I chose it because I was just watching the Versace one, season two, with my housemate and loving it. And because I wanted to talk about that, I thought it was weird if we just went straight to season two. So, I was like, well, <laughs> let's do season one and then we can do season two. Because I had actually tried to watch this first season once before and I think I got maybe two episodes into it. Yeah. And I didn't, I couldn't really mesh, it didn't really mesh with me. So, I just, yeah, dropped it, but... The second watch, uh, big fan, big fan over here. What about you? Um, I mean, I want to review this series mainly because you said so, but also because um, a but lot of Did you like peop- know about it before or were I knew, you somewhat I was, interested? Yeah, I was. There was because in 2016 when this came out, there was this and there was also um, OJ Made in America, which is the like eight hour long documentary that ended up winning the Academy Awards that year for Best Documentary Series, Mm. even though it was split up. So, I think that premiered at like Tribeca Film Festival or something like that and it had like two intervals and stuff. And then after that was turned into essentially a mini, a five-episode TV series um, that played on ESPN, I think. Um, And that got a lot of praise as well. And they were both, I think both of those released within six months of each other in 2016. Um, one, yeah, one started at a film festival, the other one started on TV around the same time. And so, all of a sudden, there was just all this OJ stuff going on. And a lot of people that I really respect who do podcasting, um, I think Dave Chen in particular on the Slash Filmcast, were raving about both of these shows, actually. Um, and I, what he sounded like he was actually quite surprised how much he was enjoying uh, the American Crime Story one because he found it so pulpy and dramatic. Mm-hmm. Whereas he's really he's a very documentary heavy person. He loves documentaries. He's done his own stuff like that before. Yeah. Um. So I was always interested. I just never thought to get around to it. But this gave us a great opportunity. Um. Something I did want to ask you actually is, for you, how how aware of the O.J. Simpson story were you before watching this show? I think I knew quite a bit about it. I mean, there, I was, there were certainly things that I learnt while watching this, which was mm-hmm. cool, uh, deeper insight, because we were pretty freaking young when this was happening, and also yeah. it was happening in America. Um, so, I mean, I grew up watching and re-watching Naked Gun, so I knew who O.J. Simpson was, 
Um, and oh, I, I, see, I don't haven't watched as much of the Naked. I've seen, I'm sure I've seen it at different times, but I haven't rewatched any of it. Yeah. Is Oh, he's in that, is he? In the Naked. Yeah, Gun. obviously, as a kid, oh. I didn't associate the man that I saw in Naked Gun as being OJ Simpson, the man on trial, or the man sure. who, you know. Um, according to a lot of people that I knew, definitely killed um, <laughs> those two people. Um, but, yeah, so I knew about the white Bronco thing just through, like, pop culture. Mm-hmm. I knew about the glove thing, the if the glove doesn't fit, you must quit. Like, yep. I knew that. The Chewbacca um, defense. Yeah. I think later in life I had read I, – I certainly knew – about how Marsha Clark was treated in the media. Sure. Like I'd read, I think, articles about that before. Uh, so, yeah, I, knew, I knew, certainly knew about those big, bold elements that had happened, those big twists and turns. I, did, I didn't know about the whole racist cop thing. I didn't know yeah. that was an, part of it at all. I hadn't heard that before, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm similar. I... I had probably had less of a knowledge than you. As you said, we we're pretty young. I was six years old when this was happening. And again, in Australia, so it didn't affect us directly. But through pop culture, The Simpsons, South Park, stuff like that, I certainly, you know, came to know about O.J. Simpson and mm. the, the you know, infamous murder trial. Yeah. Um, as about, about the glove, about all those sorts of things. Mm. But yeah, the racism side of things, definitely not at all. Um, well, that's the thing. Like, I, I think the first time I heard about... Rodney King was, I was as an adult watching an old Bill Hicks stand up and he mentions how like he had just flown out of LA and then he read, I think it was in London or something and he read the paper about how LA was burning and like that, that was my first reference point to it that actually like kind of sunk into my brain. So yeah, I had no idea that race was even an element of it, which looking back is, I mean, obviously I was a, uh, a child, but that seems crazy not to know that that was a huge part of it. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's tricky though. It's tricky in terms of like as a kid. Well, I mean, is that's that's not necessarily where the sensational side of things comes or why it's so infamous. I think the thing that always made it famous was that he got off because he seemed so obviously guilty, mm, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and just because it was such a bloody media circus, the the whole thing was such a farce. The entire case, and I think that's what's been famous long term. So. Obviously, if you dive into it, you get to know the racist racism or the you know the LAPD's uh, reputation and all those things become to the to the surface quite quickly. It was so so much a big part of the defence. But if you're just looking at the aftermath, that's not necessarily the thing that you know. That's not that that's it wasn't that that didn't make into the Simpsons. You know what I mean? That wasn't what they were talking about in. Mm. On South Park, at least not that my brain as a six-year-old or an eight-year-old or whatever it was picked up on. Yeah, totally. And I think because we were receiving it through the filter of our television, which is very white, certainly was almost completely white Mm -hmm. when we were kids. And then obviously even more knowledge being passed down from the adults in our lives. Exactly. Who were probably not particularly educated about race relations in America at least. Definitely. And like you think about even just if this something like this would have happened now, imagine this done in an age of media saturation through the internet and stuff like that. Mm. In that stage, it would have just been newspapers and television and radio, I guess. Mm -hmm. But like the the amount of opinions that are out there is decidedly less. And the focus on, you know, it's all chosen by other people what to focus on. Anyway, the big question I'll ask you next, though, is what are your just 
overall thoughts? This is going back to old school uh, hunting seasons before we start doing our spoiler and non-spoiler section. What are your overall thoughts on American Crime Story or this season of American Crime Story? This season? Yeah. I think it's a fantastic insight into a series of events that not only shook America at the time, but also had lasting effects on, you know, race relations, fame, reality TV, you know, and the justice system. I mean, most of us, as we were just saying, are are familiar with a lot of the happenings of the case. Mm. But this season, I think, does a fantastic job of focusing not only on those kind of scandalous or farcical events that happened, but the ramifications, obviously, to the culture and the people within the story. Like, we learn just how much stress, sorry, stress was involved. Yeah. We learn about, you know, those moral grey areas that everyone had to navigate. Like, this season is intense and it's wonderfully constructed and it's a beautiful and complex character study and it has an amazing cast. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it kind of blew me away how interested I could be in a story that I already knew how it ended. Um, yeah, I feel I feel a very similar way about it. The thing that the the immediate reaction or the thing I want to talk about what comes to mind when I was started watching it was just how watchable it was. Mm. Like we've been watching a lot of television over the last year and a bit now, and sometimes things can especially when we're binging them, if they're not grabbing you, they can feel like a real slog. It's just like trying to get through the next episode, the next episode, (laughs) Marvel. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But this, like, again, as you said, we know the outcome of this story. And yet, I don't know whether, I suppose because it's famous and because you know it on some level, it has to be real. Like there are real events that took place that they're recreating here. That does give you a a little extra investment. Mm -hmm. Um, But... It was so watchable, just really enjoyable to watch. And that comes down to how it was put together, as you said. The cast, the writing, the the way it was shot, the way it was edited, the way it was constructed, everything. Um, I, as you were saying as well earlier, the, the race side of things and the sexism side of things and all those issues and political and moral complexities that are in this keep this story so relevant as well. I, it's interesting watching this now when this story came out and like Black Lives Matter and all the stuff that's happened there since um, in a pre-Trump era really as well, at least Trump as president of the United States, um, this was super relevant. And it's interesting having watched the Black Lives Matter movement, obviously understanding about like um, civil rights movements in the in the mid-19th century or 20th century. And then... Um, Seeing that this stuff just keeps happening periodically, like it's it, or it never leaves, is the important bit, mm. and just it's it, it brings its head above water every so often. And this was another example of that happening. Um, yeah, and just I, how I think much, it's, it's yeah. interesting to look back because some people get into this position of like, oh, you know, things are really bad for a while, but now they're better, and like those yeah. problems don't exist anymore. P.S. That is actually a conversation. Um, the reunion part three of Atlanta. Really? Somehow, yeah, yeah, it's it's that's quite a nice link in. Um, so yeah, watch that episode, everyone. But yeah, <laughs> so it's you know it's I like this idea of going back to look at an issue that seemingly feels very of the time and seeing how it so relates to what is happening now. And I think this was the perfect choice for season one of American Crime Story. 
Definitely. Yeah, as as a season one goes, if you're trying to bring people into like yeah, American crime stories and that idea, mm. choosing one of the most famous criminal cases of all time in America, probably the as I say, the crime of this or the trial of the century, is a pretty good place to start. Yeah. Um, especially when it's been what, twenty years now since that's been about 20 plus years. Mm. The the other thing as well that I really, the broad stroke thoughts on this is how much this show is an exercise in drama. So when I talk about this being extremely watchable, it's just, the question going through my mind the whole way was, man, this is a fascinating story. I wonder how much of it's true. Mm-hmm. And by all accounts, it seems like it's pretty accurate in its details, but I, but. What they've done and what's interesting about this is they've obviously really um, had to take liberties and dramatize the emotional side of things. And it's a question of whether that is good or bad considering this this is based on real people. And this is kind of where I want to start our big discussion today is this sentence, uh, this phrase, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure Jimmy Cochran was the one who says this in the show. People like stories. It helps them make sense of things. Now, I reckon that is the... Statement of intent of the show right there. Because mm-hmm. this is yeah. a story that a lot of people know, know certain details and facts about. But to have it come to life as a dramatic representation over 10 episodes like this really allowed me to invest in the broader themes of this, mm-hmm. the individual stories that are going on. And I was so sucked in by that. And while similar to the social network, I wouldn't be surprised if people involved in the real events found it to be um, maybe inaccurate or misrepresenting or they feel that way about them, it certainly helped me, I think, and I hope to understand the story a lot better and to be a part of it and to feel it. What about you? Yeah. I mean, when we were talking to Cameron last on last week's episode, mm-hmm. when we were doing Lost in Space, in the off-topic, hot-topic section, I had mentioned to him that I had started watching season one, but I dropped off. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about the criticisms that the second season had received, um, particularly because a lot of Ryan Murphy's stuff is overly dramatic and sometimes quite camp and, yeah, over the top. But Cameron was saying how American Crime Story isn't really a traditional biopic Mm-mm. like most viewers are used to. I think they're, they're actually just interpretations of events that discuss a larger issue or theme, like you're saying, that is relevant to America now. If you're going to do an American crime story that is speaking to larger themes, to have it completely within the restrictions of reality, I think will probably hurt the story you are trying to tell that services those themes. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying, and I don't think they have done this, to completely manipulate a story or massage it so that it speaks to your agenda, but to make those themes and that subject matter really clear to the audience. Yeah, which, and that's, yeah. That's, that, that's exactly why it's an exercise in drama, I think. And that's it. It's to tell, yeah, go beyond the facts and tell the story. And so what's been interesting as well has been since watching this show, my curiosity was, well, how accurate is this? And I've done mm. not an excessive amount of research, but a little research. And most of the most interesting details seem to be accurate. Mm. The question there are lots of there are lots of conversations in rooms <laughs> that I'm sure never took place, mm-hmm. right? At least not like that. But 
you do feel like that they're at least riffing on reality from because there's a lot of information out there. From what the the end of the the bit at the end of the series was saying, everybody involved in this case basically has written a book. Like they all yeah, have had except for Judge Ito, yeah, yeah, they've all sort of had their time to tell their side mm-hmm. of this story, and so there's heaps of information out there to, to base this on, and um, it seems like Marsha Clark, for instance, really likes the feels it's quite accurate. It probably helps that she also comes across as well, the, the I mean, hero slash the victim of the story in a lot of ways. She is really the heart of this story yeah. and it shows just how much the media fucked her over and how she was yeah. really persecuted herself by the media in the country. And and um, aside from that, Ron Goldman's father, who's a character in this story, mm. has gone on record as saying that he finds... He found this to be quite um, not inaccurate, but sort of underrepresented his son, which is interesting because that's actually kind of what his the character said in the show mm. was that you know this is all about Nicole, everyone's forgotten Ron, and he felt that's in reality how his dad actually felt about how the show treated him as well, which I thought was interesting. And he, well, you I, just how could you not upset people making this show though? Well, I mean, absolutely, particularly with the subject matter. I mean, it's yeah. about two people. Who were brutally, brutally murdered? Mm. Like it's yeah, what happened is horrific, and I, I think it would be hard to tell a story about the trial and have a really much of any focus on. Oh my god, I've forgotten his name. On um, Ron. Ron, Ron is that the dad's name? No, I can't remember the dad's name. Sorry. Let's just say Ron Goldman's dad for the sake of... Ron Goldman's dad. But yeah, sorry. Yeah, if you focus any time on Ron Goldman, because that's not what the trial was about, which obviously that's what he's upset about. Yes. But that was, you know, what that was what what happened. It wasn't... That wasn't the sexy or dramatic part of it. Or even if it was about him, the sexy part of it was the fact that he was like this boy toy. You know what I mean? Like that was the representation of him. And he was was discarded. Um, But I, I think they expressed that well through... Ron's dad character says that. Yeah, agreed. And so the other thing I was doing is basically as soon as I finished watching the show, I went and found um, OJ Made in America and started watching that. Mm. Now, as I actually was speaking to Cameron during the week about this, he asked me if I'd seen that. And he was like, just so you know, it doesn't get into the case straight away. And I haven't watched all of it yet. I watched the first episode, the first hour and a half essentially, which is very much about OJ... Um, his early life and him as a footballer when he was still at university. And then I was like, I really need to watch a little bit more of this before tonight's podcast. So I've watched the middle episode as well, which is really about the murder and the highway chase. So basically the first two episodes of mm. um, the the American Crime Story series. And it, a couple of things, that if you want to watch that after watching this, I highly recommend it because it's a fantastic companion piece. You think I'd like it? You would, definitely. It's mm. uh, The thing about it, because this thing overall is, it takes eight hours, there's a lot of detail. In fact, so much detail that a couple of times in the first episode, I thought they were kind of repeating themselves. I was like, mm. in any other documentary, they would have moved on and sort of been happy with just a couple of these anecdotes. It feels like they're telling all the anecdotes. Mm. Um, but what is great about the documentary, not that I'm going to stay on this for too long, is that so many of the details that I wondered if they were made up or dramatized did happen to some degree of accuracy, Mm, more than I even thought. And what was also interesting was how many people were being interviewed on this who were characters in this show. So, Marsha Clark is all over this thing Mm -hmm. and she is awesome to to (laughs) listen to talk about this 
after the fact and after the fact that I've watched uh, Sarah Paulson play her for the last eight hours as well. It was just fascinating to see her now talking about that too. Uh, I, I really highly recommend people look it up. I'm looking forward to watching the rest of that as okay, well. Okay, you've con- you've convinced me. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely watch it. When I've got uh, a spare eight hours, I'll you watch spare it. eight hours. You watch it in bits. You don't have to watch it all at once. I've certainly been just getting to it here and there. That's the thing as well. I feel like I know enough about the story. It's just little details that are being added on top for me. Yeah. Um, the In terms of the drama as well, that comes across in a lot of other ways. It's... There's a lot of ways it's achieved, I should say. One of the things I want to talk about was the look of the show, particularly the camera work. I think the first time I really noticed this swoopy camera, <laughs> this camera on a crane, was a shot inside um, Shapiro's house. So, John Travolta's character, uh, David Shapiro, is it? Mm-hmm. Walks into his house and he's talking with his wife and the camera comes rushing down the stairs, down into their living space at the front of the house, or sorry, the entrance hall. They have a conversation. They move into their living sort of, um, I guess, welcome area, just to the side of that, this living space. The camera goes in there, off their faces, and then round onto a television. I was like, that was an incredibly difficult and well-choreographed shot. Um, and the thing was, there were dozens of these sorts of shots throughout. <laughs> they kept doing. I was these- about to say that's kind of a Ryan Murphy staple, really. These really like dramatic, swoopy shots. Yeah, yeah. Or even had- sometimes similar to like a music video where they'll be like, like a, a like a zoom in or that like, was the other it, one. It's like the camera is dramatic. Huge yeah. dolly pushes. The bit mm. where. Um, where Cochrane is like writing down his drafts of if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. And he, he like, looks up and he's like, his <gasps> eureka moment. The camera is like <laughs> straight yeah, in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, was incredible. Um, yeah, I, I found that that stuff crazy. And then also in the performances, as we said, this is a lot of this is emotion on top of the facts as well. And there were some examples of this where I started to feel it was a little bit too much. There was one part in particular, which actually was about Ron's dad, when he was first getting very upset. Because mm. The exact scene we we're just talking about, where he was like, you've forgotten all about Ron. This is all about Nicole and OJ. And, so I, and I was a little bit like, oh, this is starting to push me away. But then it came around somehow, like the music and the shot and how close it was. And they just let him... They let us stick with that performance mm-hmm. until it became real. It was really strange. Mm. And it while it does feel very soapy and overdramatic sometimes, it ultimately worked really well for me. I just found it so – it pulled me right in because of yeah, that. Yeah, I, I think the – caliber of the performances certainly helped with that because a lot of the times the writing felt heavy-handed to me. The direction was sometimes so dramatic it was obnoxious. Um, Mm -hmm. It it felt like a soap opera sometimes, but the acting was so incredible. And I I think it was so consistent through. The production values were there that I was happy to be in it no matter how they were going to tell that story. Well, I do want to talk about the performances. Um, before I do that, I did want to mention one other thing as well that I, I really liked about the show is actually the way it's structured in that this is something that you could easily... We've seen this... We talked about this again, I think last week, actually, with um, talking about Lost in Space, how so many shows these days that they seem to be one big movie just cut up into bits and that, that shows seem to have lost the, the art of the episode. And I actually mm-hmm. found it quite fascinating how well they were able to break this down into elements or events or, or and episodes that focused on particular elements or events and, and they yeah. did feel distinct. So 
The first episode. A, yeah. yeah, go on. It's just a great way to do that because there is so much in this story. Yes. There are so many different moving parts. It like it makes sense and it really is a smart decision. Yeah, like you said, not to make it one big long movie, but yeah, really to break it up and so we can focus on one thing at a time and kind of get our bearings with it. And we're definitely going to talk about those different sort of elements and what those look like as we go along here. But just, yeah, getting, getting episodes, seeing the episode title, title like Marsha, 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 great episode title, by the way, and mm-hmm. um, having it obviously focus a lot on Marsha Clark in an episode and the sexist sort of attitudes that are going towards her and then moving on to another episode that's about juries or another episode that's about, yeah, and it's just very clever. They could somehow do that and still make it feel like it was naturally just flying through the story. It was really, really, really impressive. So, great work there. When we talk about writing, like that's a great example of good writing, structuring mm-hmm. your stuff like that. It's yeah. kind of structure. So, let's do talk about the characters and the performance. Uh, let's just start with the man himself, O.J. Simpson, uh, with Cuba Gooding Jr., mm. Uh, playing the role, yes or no to his performance in this show? Well, the first time I tried to watch it, it was a no because mm. I just I, I I was confused. I was so confused about his portrayal of OJ. It was it was so much just like a this petulant child, and there was so much weakness there, and I just I didn't yeah. understand it because while OJ you know, ha- certainly had his eccentricities, my impression of him had always been kind of this really strong kind of all-American dude and that was not the performance I was getting. So I, after the first two episodes, I was like, I don't know if I can do this um, and so I stopped. This time around though, after that conversation that we had with Cam last week and realising that this is just an interpretation of the events and it's not about who can we find that looks the most like this person. It's like this person represents something and so so the performance needs to reflect that. And I think that's why we have Cuba Gooding Jr. and we have Cuba Gooding Jr. doing what he's doing. Yeah. So once I was on board with that, I was more comfortable with it. But I also understand that... While it's, you know, the people versus OJ, this isn't really about OJ. He's not really a main player at all. Uh, Yes and no. He is early on and it ends with him, right? So, it feels like the first two episodes, Mm. particularly episode two, is obviously they talk... Episode two is is the Bronco chase and that... Well, that does involve a lot of different things, including the DA's office, including, you know, the Shapiro and Kardashian and the lawyers and stuff like that. There, I think, is a big emotional uh, weight is put onto Cuba Gooding Jr.'s performance and OJ in that one. But mm. then as it goes on, it becomes less about him and more about the people who's hired to defend him, definitely. Yeah. Um, by I, the end, But by yeah. the end of it, they like, again, they return to that once he's out he's been released and found not guilty him um he we do make sure we 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 finish with him and and, and where he ended up after all this go on you yeah i think something? because we do get that not guilty plea we need to understand and we do have that in the final moments of him coming to an understanding that his life while he got the the verdict that he wanted is forever changed that life that he had before is completely gone yeah. he will never have it again um, but going back to the first couple of episodes, I found his behavior so erratic. Well, yeah. I understand they were trying to show that stress was put on him, 
because I didn't know or have any experience of him before that, I'm sure. talking about this version of OJ, it it seemed it seemed so crazy to me that he was behaving that way that I was like who like who is this person, like I I don't know who this person is and so I was very appreciative that we moved away from that when we really got to the the meat of the season. That is interesting. You're right because it does it does we start with him post murder, and we don't get a chance mm. to see him beforehand. It is just him dealing with that. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. I, I, I think maybe- it's a, I think it was a good choice to start where they did. I think that was the exact right place to start. Is with oh, absolutely. Like, I, I agree with that. Um, but you're right. That does he he's in terms of understanding his character, it does make mm. it a lot harder. But, and and maybe that's the point. Maybe the point is that we cannot understand. The point is like, while we understand the spectacle of what happened. No one really knows who this guy is and what allowed him to do the things he did. Like, he is kind of a, a mystery to a lot of people. Do you think it was interesting that they... I mean, well, I'm just going to ask this question straight up. Do you think he did it? Yes, I do. Yeah, I agree. And I think the show does too. I think... Yeah. I don't think the show hides from I the fact that... I think most people have come to that conclusion by now. Well, interesting. I just saw a poll that recently... Um, yeah, I think in a, a poll taken in, you know, recent years, it was something like 80 to 90% of white Americans think he did. And it was about 57% of African Americans or black Americans believe he did. So, I think that's improved in terms of more people think he did than previously. Mm. Um, but there's still a big disparity between I'd, I'd be curious as to like what the age demographics of the, that poll yeah. Was, whether it's people our age or people in their 50s and 60s and stuff, you know? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I don't have the information at the moment. I'm just remembering that from oh, my Oh, come on, Brod. I know, terrible reason. I know, I run, a, I run an average Where are your sources? <laughs> the, but yeah, it's, um, it's interesting that the way they chose to do it was the murders happened and they certainly imply heavily that it was him that did it, but they never outright show it or, or did it. I suppose they couldn't either anyway because that would be probably liable to do that. Mm. Um, so, it's a smart move on theirs. Anyway, I like where they started it. It's interesting as well, as you said, in terms of he doesn't look like OJ and doesn't really act like, sound like OJ at all. And mm. as someone, now that I've been watching the OJ Made in America documentary, that is 100% true. He really doesn't look anything like him. He's such a softer jaw than OJ has. OJ yeah. is absolutely, he really is that chiseled, like he's a, he was a quarterback. He's this huge. He was this big athletic. Wasn't he guy. like a running back? Running back. Sorry, yeah, but it's like the that that football player physique. Yeah, he looks like a football player. Totally. And even though he's obviously retired at that point, um, he still had a lot of that physique. He's got that big build going for him. And OJ mm-hmm. uh, uh, Cuba Jr. just doesn't have it. No. Um, and the voice, as you said, is completely different too. But that being said, if you remove that, if you sort of forget for a second that this is not an impersonation, it is an interpretation, then I actually quite like what, what Cuba Gooding Jr. did. Yeah, I think it's really effective for the story. I agree. Mm. What about John Travolta as Robert Shapiro? Well, I was reading that a lot of people had a problem with John Travolta's performance. I did not. I really liked it. He was sleazy and under the impression that he was charming, yet everyone in the room was like, who is this creep? Which yeah. I loved. I loved that element. He considered himself to be probably more intelligent, or he considered himself probably the most intelligent person in the room. But once again, everyone around him is like, uh, you're not, buddy. I know, <laughs> I, I liked it. And somehow this like, 
over-the-top, obnoxious character. There are moments where I felt really sorry for him. I, I liked what John Travolta was doing. What, what were your thoughts? Um, I did like what he was doing as well, actually, as I went through it. And I, I was the same as you. I'd heard that people didn't like his performance. Uh, again, I think Cam sort of, either, or both of you, I thought, come up with the, the idea of the podcast of what, what's John Travolta doing or something like that <laughs> last week. Yeah. What, what the hell is John Travolta doing? And, but I felt like that while the, he was a big character, he was a big personality, I think that felt like that was sort of the point. But mm. what's been interesting, again, is when watching the documentary, he, Shapiro in reality does seem to share some of those qualities, but isn't nearly as sort of grandiose as the way John mm. Travolta was playing him. I think I saw an interview with him like in later years. So I mm. think it was maybe like last year or the year before. And yeah, he, there was this quietness about him that was really unsettling and this yeah. arrogance about him that was really gross, which I think John Travolta captured pretty well. Yeah. And in terms of, again, it's the same question as the Cuba Gooding Jr. one. Is it accurate? Not really. But is it effective in sort of creating a character and create a personality that will reflect or represent the mm-hmm. important elements of that, his role in the, in the case and in the story? Then yes, I think it was. I think it was really mm. good. And it was fun watching him be the person who tries to take charge, who, <laughs> who you know, he's the one that's going to, who asked OJ and he did this in real life to um, plead, you know, go for a deal to try and settle, um, who loses control of, you know, who initially was the initial lawyer um, taken on board, but loses control of that. And seeing all of that take place, he was such a tragic figure <laughs> along Yeah, like when story. he comes home from vacation and he goes to his office and they've removed all of the boxes and then he storms in and, he yeah, he's lost control and he acts like a petulant child. Like he doesn't want to be a, in a room with one of the, one of the other lawyers um, and he has a little tantrum outside until he realises that he has no power and he, if he wants to be a part of uh, the cool gang, he's just going to have to kind of sit down and shut up really and that's what he does i think one of my favorite scenes and i can't remember the exact context now that i'm trying to think back to it was the bit in the elevator where there's a suggestion made towards him and then he he's just doesn't say anything he is dead quiet and it's just the mm. most awkward elevator ride until the moment the doors open at which point he says what he wanted to say and walks out so nobody can have the last word yeah exactly. i thought that was a fantastic <laughs> portrait of what how this guy tried to wield his power, how he mm-hmm. tried to stay in control. I really, really like details like that. How true to life they are, no idea, but I like them all the same. Uh, what about Johnny Cochran? Uh, you, you take over. What do you think of him? I think he is really one of the uh, the the pillars of what, about which this story really rotates around. He's such an important figure. Well, that's the thing. He's such an interesting character. We mm. are introduced to this guy as sort of a, this righteous fighter for his community. But as we go on, we learn that he's not as simple as that. And the issues that he's trying to bring forward are not as simple as that. We see his need to control the narrative and the people around him. Like when it's ex- exposed that he's committed domestic violence, he, you know, flies at the TV to turn it off and try to like make it go away and even tries to bribe his ex-wife. 
I mean, this is a complicated man. Very. And I think so often because he is ultimately, ultimately his his career goals are to fight on the side of people who are being unjustly persecuted. Um, but this is such a great opportunity for him to put forward those ideas to a huge amount of people that he has to kind of do some fucked up shit and he does it. Uh, and we learn that, you know, he has a great mission, but he's willing to step over whoever he needs to, including two murder victims. Um, and I think he's a perfect example of this show really diving into those morally gray areas. What were your thoughts on Cochrane? I think you've pretty much said every, exactly what I wanted to say, actually, because I feel like there are three things that are really elements to him and his character that are important to, to reflect on. His objective, mm. which does seem to be noble in terms yeah. of he is interested in fighting for the rights of his community, of the black community, which mm-hmm. it seems pretty obvious are being persecuted and treated unfairly overall in LA at the time. Yeah. The opportunity that, ca- that came about in which... Yes, exactly as you said, had the opportunity to bring that to a bigger audience to to make this the case of the century and to but in doing so theoretically has helped a very guilty person walk free mm-hmm. and how morally complicated that is. And I almost sort of talked about this being like, and this is oversimplifying things, but after watching The Good Place, I it, it's amazing how often this shows up. This is like <laughs> the trolley problem of like justice. It's like to try and help find justice for a large group of people, he is willing to throw justice for two murder victims under the bus. And yep. like making that choice and what sort of person you have to be to be able to do that. And he is such a complicated figure. But what's really scary is his ability is amazing. Like he is so good at what he does. Mm-hmm. He's so good at at somehow manipulating this situation and making it work for him and getting an advantage in a case that realistically, looking at the straight facts of it, he he's a dead man walking, OJ. Like, there's no yeah. way that he could have, should have been anything but found guilty in that case. The and fact just- that this guy is such a good storyteller yeah. that he can obscure and even change other people's reality like that is a superpower and it's wonderfully matched against someone like Marsha who is not good at doing that at all doesn't even understand the the worth in doing that but one other aspect I love or I find very interested interesting about the way that they portray Johnny is that yes he is that righteous man and he understands how great this opportunity is to further his cause. Well, he has a righteous goal, I'd say. I would Yes. But yeah. the, but the thing is is that we he has that conversation with his wife where oh. it's like would like how would you feel if someone else got him off, which displays to us that really it's about ego. There is an ego, absolutely. Yeah. yeah it's a it's a huge part of his character and it's mm. I mean, I mean that's that's just noted from the way he dresses, the way he addresses the media, the way he throws his personality around and loves getting in front of a microphone. And he's, the thing is, he's got the ability to back that up. Mm. Um, yeah, he's such an interesting 
interesting character mm-hmm. um, and beautifully played, I think, as well. Um, oh, it's amazing. So, he was played by uh, Courtney B. Uh, Vance. And I'm trying, I'm not sure off the top of my head if I know what else I've seen him in, but he actually looks like um, Johnny in real life as well mm-hmm. and, yep. uh, and and played the part beautifully. Um, uh, while we're here, since we're talking about the the his objective in terms of trying to help the black community in LA... Um, and obviously playing the race card, essentially. And how did you feel about, or, yeah, did you did you think that was handled well, the racial, political aspects of this show? Mm. Um, I mean, obviously it's hard for me to say. I am mm. a white woman living in Australia. Um, and there were points where I was, you know, being very morally black and white being like you know it's it's wrong you like lying on this scale manipulating it to this on this scale is just it's like it's it's wrong and then i also had thoughts of well if the system is so corrupt and broken that your community is being wrongly persecuted constantly and being mistreated in the worst ways why should you uphold that system? Why should you honour it in the way, say, a white person would who benefits from the system? So on that, like, yeah, I don't know, it's it's complex, but I, th- I think they discussed it pretty responsibly. I think they, so. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it was done well, but like I said, I, I don't know. It just, I think you'd um, have to ask someone else that question. No, what about you? No, that's fair enough. No, I, I, I agree with you. I think it's it's handled really well. It's handled well because there is a couple of episodes that seem dedicated to it. There's an episode called The Race Card and then mm. there's um, Manna from Heaven, which is the for me is the really big episode where we start to see those tapes um, from that Detective Foreman, or his name is, mm. um, which, like, interestingly enough, I, I was surprised by how much that hit me like a gut punch hearing those tapes. They were so vicious. It was one thing yeah. to read them and when they're reading them, and I love the bit where they're reading through those transcripts and they're just like, holy shit. But then to hear them as well, and I I imagine they were re-performed obviously by the actor who was playing that character, but they um, they really did hit like a ton of bricks. And I thought that was handled responsibly. It was because it, you had to have it in there, I think, much like they had to be, or they, they were a big part of the case. Mm-hmm. But... Um, they made sure that you felt the weight of it and they didn't play around with that or trying mm. uh they yeah, it wasn't slight at all, which I really liked. But yeah, sorry, just no. something about OJ that occurred to me as well that I found really interesting is the I loved about this story and exploring it is the perspective that he was barely involved in the black community anyway. So mm-hmm. I understood the reaction to like these two white people are killed. Oh, of course the black man's blame. This is just the LAPD once again, you know, Mm -hmm. a black man's getting unfairly persecuted, he's been set up and so forth. But so fascinating to understand that he's embraced by his community in that way and yet didn't seem to be really a part of it at all. And the evidence mounts up that he didn't, he considered himself to be separate from the black yeah, I mean, he, he so has that famous line of like, I'm not black, I'm OJ. OJ, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I oh. mean, this is this is a man, and I understand that like it was part of the narrative of his defense team and it worked brilliantly. But yeah, this is a man who was incredibly rich, was yeah. obviously going to golf clubs, which are notoriously, notoriously racist, um, anti-Semitic and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
you know, he's living in Brentwood. He's hanging out with millionaires every day. He, yeah, doesn't give back to his community. He feels like he, you know, picked himself up and took himself out of a bad situation and he doesn't have to look behind. And and yet he's embraced. He is he can be a figurehead. So yeah, it's it's so complicated to see how as a figurehead he's important for people to look at and be like, oh my gosh, there is hope for us. We can if we're wrongly persecuted, we can beat the system that so often beats us down. Yeah. But also looking at it through this show, through this lens, seeing how f- that is a, a completely false narrative that he he got out because he was rich and powerful and it has nothing to do with colour. Um, the one other thing I just want to talk about with Johnny as well, and please add to this if you've got, if you've got more, there was that one line where they were talking about using or or bringing in the N-word. I'm going to say the N-word. I'm not going to bring it up on here um, <laughs> and say it myself. The, yeah, good choice. Yeah, where Chris Darden gets up and talks about how this is an inflammatory word, this is a word the defence just wants to use so it can get an emotional reaction because as soon as they do, the jury is going to go, well, am I going to side with the man or side with the my brother, you know, or the brother, right? Mm. And then they uh, Johnny has his bit and talks about how that's offensive and I thought that was, I mean, he wasn't wrong. That was really well articulated as well, even if it was not what... Um, Chris was trying to do mm. but then at the end of it and I want to I'm fascinated to know if this detail is real or not on the show he bends down and whispers to to uh, sorry Johnny bends down and whispers to Chris N word please. please that's I'm true like, apparently is it really yeah yeah apparently that's, that's such an amazing like you could not write that mm-hmm. it's such an incredible Detail. Yeah. I mean, Johnny was certainly very, very good at antagonizing Darden yeah. to just like set him off, to constantly attack him as like an Uncle Tom type of figure. Yeah. I mean, that would just drive you insane. Like, that would make your blood boil. Yeah. And he does it in such a self righteous way. Like, he's, he's a defender of the black of black people and Darden, yeah, is this Uncle Tom. And yeah. it it becomes impossible to fight such a powerful storyteller. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast. And up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. 
Absolutely. Um, well, since we're talking about Chris, I kind of want to talk about Marsha, Marsha Clark and Chris Dart at the same time, which I don't mean to conflate the two as being the same character, but they are so intricately tied together. Chris is obviously tied very close to Johnny as well. Mm. Um, but what did you think of Sarah Paulson as Marsha Clark? I mean, let's be honest, Sarah Paulson is always incredible. <laughs> Everyone loves Sarah Paulson because she deserves to be loved. <laughs> um, <laughs> and call me anytime if you break up with Holland Taylor, let me know. Anyway, um, look, her portrayal of Marsha is fantastic. She's an incredible performer. She fucking brings it. Yeah. And as for the character of Marsha herself, like this is a woman who is well and truly obliterated by the media. Yeah. She's ignored for the work she was doing and instead criticised for her fucking haircut. Um, obviously, this is not new. Um, I'm talking about the recent election. Um, yes. You can have, like, a man who has, I don't know, half a face old pizza visibly on his clothes, he's, you know, drunk. And the media will talk about how real he is, how relatable he is. Yeah. Um, but you have a woman that doesn't care about her appearance because she is actually focused on the job and no one can hear her speak because they're like, well, why doesn't she care about her appearance? Like, she looks terrible. And they care about her fucking perm or whether she wears a pants suit. Um it's incredibly frustrating to watch yeah. how blatant it was back then. And when I was watching it, I was like, oh, God, this is awful that this woman had to go through this, you know, period in time. And then I remembered, you know, the American election and I was like, yeah. oh, not much has changed. I think there is online probably more conversation about it, um, about that treatment of women. But as for, like, the story that mainstream media tell, it's pretty much the same. What was the is- example that happened in Australia a couple of years ago where on the, like, one of our morning shows, um, the, I don't know their names because I don't watch morning TV. I think Carl Stefanovic and then whoever his Lisa old Lisa Wilkinson? Yeah, Lisa, Lisa yeah. Wilkins. I think that's right. Wilkins and Lisa Wilkins. Wilkins at some stage had cop criticism for wearing the same dress twice, something like that, right? Mm. Which is ridiculous. So, what Carl do? I don't think Carl Stefanovic is the best bloke in the world, but he's done a couple of good things at times. He wore the same suit, I think, for like 12 months. Yeah, every day for a year. Every day for suit. a year. And no one ever fucking picked up on it <laughs> or commented on it once. He yeah. had to mention it. I thought that was a fantastic demonstration of exactly what you're talking about and how it's still happening. And one of my favorite bits of the show was the bit where they were doing the jury testing, essentially, where mm. they like Aww. they were like uh, showing clips of uh, Marsha and then asking for their reaction. And the research was just coming back, just bitch, you know, yeah. cold, all these sorts of things. Know it all. Words. Yeah. All, all of these kind of awful, awful um, judgments on her based on. Oh, fuck, I don't even understand. And that's the yeah, thing. Like, so, no so one would say that about Cochrane or even um, Shapiro. Nope. And Shapiro is not likable at all. No. Nah. But if they saw him talking about something in a very knowledgeable manner, they'd be like, oh, he's smart. They yeah. wouldn't be like, oh, he, he's a know-it-all or he you know, thinks he's better than me or whatever. Whereas like that would be the criticism of someone like Marsha. She's Definitely. too harsh. She's too hard-looking. Yeah, all, all all of that shit. And I 
Like one moment that broke, broke my heart is after she's had her hair cut. Kiss from a rose. <laughs> There's great music in this show. I we'll love that. that. That whole bit. great. Um, and she's so excited and happy that she's, you know, she's feeling good about herself. And like yeah. she shouldn't have to worry about this stuff, but she's kind of being forced to by everyone, including her own boss. Yeah. Um, because bizarrely it is affecting what like the the trial, which is well, that that strange. was a bit that was fascinating, right? Is the is the reaction, the gut reaction that this is not fair, but also like but but like your boss is telling you the boss is telling you to do it not necessarily because he agrees with it, but because he, unfortunately people It's are, having so, an effect. It is having an effect and mm-hmm. we can oh, inverted commas fix this right now. Like mm. we can change this and it will help your case. Yeah. For all the wrong reasons, <laughs> but you kind of need to do this, and that's oh, it's so yeah. hard. Another reason why we all need to be critical of the stories that we're being told. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but yeah, when she has her hair cut and she walks in to the room, and everyone kind of turns to face her, and they all make this fucking face at her, mm. and her face just drops. And she is so kind of embarrassed and withdrawn in herself. And, like, this is a very accomplished, intelligent woman who looks like a young girl who just got her period and people have seen it through her pants. You know what I mean? Like, she's yeah. it's that kind of, like, this really kind of adolescent hurt. Yeah. And, it's, oh, it, and Sarah Paulson's performance is fucking heartbreaking. But it's such a beautiful humanizing moment for Marsha Clark. Like it, it's awful to watch. Mm. The same thing with her being a single mum mm. and like just the, I, I really did love her. She's so capable. She's so good at her job. Um, so knowledgeable, so right in so many ways, but she just gets pushed so much. And every mm-hmm. time she had a little breakdown, it weren't often, but when she would crack in the courtroom and cry a little bit or whatever it might be, when she just begs the judge that she can leave on time so she can get to her kids and stuff like that, mm. it was super heartbreaking. And just, but just a reality of only she is being pressed on these fronts. No mm-hmm. other person in that courtroom, yeah. none of her no male No one else had like a topless photo. Oh my god! Put out there, which is so disgusting. Unbelievable. Um, mm. But again, still true of today. That's still Absolutely. disgustingly yeah. happening. Um, well, the other thing when it comes to just the the prosecution was watching what seems like a slam dunk case just make these little mm-hmm. mistakes mm-hmm. along the way, these little compromises and this constant weakening bit by bit that mm-hmm. came from... I don't know. Where did it come from? Some of it was arrogance, honestly. Some of it was they didn't take it seriously straight away. Some of it was, unfortunately, just a side effect of the fact that he was famous. Like, it's really interesting watching the interview they conduct with OJ at the start when he doesn't have his lawyer and they should be fucking pinning him down on so many details of his story and they don't just because no one seems to be able to... Once again, going back to the fact that, like, this is not how the LAPD treats a, in quotes, black man. This Mm -hmm. is how they treat a rich celebrity. Yeah. 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 And just the, just watching that snowball from this is a done deal into fucking hell, what are we dealing with, Mm -hmm. um, was insanity. Um, And just... Go on. Just to bring that back to Marsha and a a part of why this case 
falls apart and why Johnny is able to like pin them down so easily is that, you know, and, and Darden calls her out on this and, you know, she discounted his valuable insight yeah. because she discounted, discounted the experience of black people. She wasn't able to grasp just how different the black community was feeling about the LAPD and the justice system. Like she was ill-equipped and she was unwilling, I think a part of that is certainly arrogance, to step aside and listen to someone more qualified, which was Chris Darden, who had yep. that insight, who was will- like, who was there telling her some of the things that she needed to hear and she just wasn't able to hear it. How did you feel about the relationship between, and when I say relationship, I first of all just mean their every professional relationship between uh, Marsha and Chris? I loved it. I mean, I got a real sense of, obviously, there are like romantic undertones that are yeah. there, but I l- just loved the friendship, the fact that these yeah. two people in the what felt like the whole world was kind of judging them and against them in a lot of ways, that were trying to fight this battle, which like it felt like David and Goliath, but it was meant to be reversed the other way. And yet somehow they ended up being David, how these two people kind of had to lean on one another yep. and to kind of prop it, prop each other up. I, I mean, I loved it. I, it, it gave me, even though I knew what was going to happen, it yeah. was just nice to have them there supporting each other. I think otherwise this might've been like a really miserable watch, you yep. know? Definitely. Mm. No, I agree. I really enjoyed everything they brought. As you said, it's they're very capable. They're obviously leaning on each other. They disagree on things and both make mistakes ultimately that end up costing their, their case. Mm. Um, but it's they you always felt like they were still trying to work together or on the same mm-hmm. side at least. Yeah. Even they, when they, they, they made had a clear for respect for one another. Yeah. And so obviously sometimes it was a little harder than others to forgive, but ultimately they did because there was something bigger. There was a bigger goal that they both wanted to strive for. The um in terms of the sexual romantic um, relationship side of things, the other thing was, and the performances did a good job. Like. I thought they. Ooh, yeah. I felt that chemistry, and sometimes we watch. I want shows, them to bone, like in every scene. Absolutely, there was one early on where there was just like she pulled out scotch. And he's like, "I drink tequila." And he just pulls out the tequila, and she's got her feet up on the table. I'm like, "Fuck, this is sexy as shit." Like, <laughs> this needs to happen. I want mm. this to happen, and I was yeah. like, a part of me was just wondering, like, is this added drama? I really worried, wondered about whether this relationship or any sort of romantic drama was was part of reality and apparently it fucking is. Like it was the one thing that I well, questioned the most. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. I it was certainly rumored and Marsha Clark in particular was heavily criticized for um being distracted because of a um a rumored romantic relationship with Darden. I don't think it's ever been confirmed, though. D- Darden, is, I believe, has said in an interview or in his book has confirmed that there was a trip away together and that there was an attraction, at least. He never confirmed there was any sort of physical thing, yeah, which right. neither just yeah. the show. Never, yeah. It, it never oh, shows okay. any sort of physical, actual physical encounter or anything yeah. like that. But he mm. he has suggested that there was a an a attraction between the two at least mm. and that that was a true yeah. element of their relationship. Yeah. Yeah, I mean there was certainly a closeness, but they were yeah, particularly Marsha, but both of them were yeah, heavily criticized for 
being distracted mm. when really it's kind of like, well, they're the only two people that they can really talk to Yeah. in this huge fucking storm. So who can blame them? When you spend that much time together. If there's hours and hours, I imagine, working together on this thing. Mm. If you like each other amount any of amount. Stress, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're going to find a lot of, um, uh, a lot of, yeah, a lot to share in common there. And mm-hmm. yeah, you, you go rely on each other a lot, which will help. Yeah. The, the one question I had though was whether that, well, there's actually two things. How much if that was true, it did seem to suggest in the show that some of that re- relationship or romantic drama affected their ability to work together. And that's what you were saying. That was the rumor. Mm. Um, and I do wonder how true that was. But the other thing that I found interesting, when they go away and they're, she's telling, like putting the whole case together with the mm-hmm. shot glasses. and she She's did disproving such a, the conspiracy, yeah. But she did such an amazing job telling that story. Do you think the show was trying to make a point about that she had this ability to do this, but she just didn't bring it to the trial? Like that was that was Johnny yeah, S. What she did? Yeah, I hadn't thought about about it like that. Yeah, I, I I guess so because when we see her in court, she is so you see her. She's so in control of her of herself that mm-hmm. she does seem quite wooden, and she yeah. does always seem to be focused really on the wrong things, the things that people can't connect to. Um, because I think she has such a high respect for the court, for yes. its importance, for all of the processes in place that make it an honourable place. Um, and But when she is not in the court and she is just relating with people, and I mean, you said you watched interviews with her and you really enjoyed watching her. So yeah, clearly yeah. she is very personable and can be very charming. Like she's worked in TV a lot. Like she's constantly being brought on TV to talk about big court cases and that kind of thing. She obviously has a personality, but for whatever reason at that point in her career had not figured out how to utilize it at all. Yeah. Um, is there anything else about Marsha or about Chris that you want to talk about before we move on? There's one more character in particular I want to talk about. So I want to talk about how gross that fucking um, supermarket clerk dude was to her buying tampons. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. Apparently that happened. Mm-hmm, like that, it, like a dude actually said that to her. So gross. Anyway, just kind it's of amazing. Like, the more we talk about this, it's amazing how much of the this stuff is true anecdotes or yeah. it's crazy. It really gives me a lot of respect for the show. That I suppose it makes an easy choice to make a television show like this out of when there's so many much amazing material just to work yeah. with in it's reality. It's too good. How could Incredible. you not? You barely have to write it, really. Yeah. Absolutely. The the character that I want to talk about last, and I don't want to spend too much time on this though, is Robert Kardashian, played by mm. David Schwimmer. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, how do you feel about his performance? I really, really, really wanted to like David Schwimmer <laughs> in this role, yeah, and I didn't hate him. I, I thought he did a fine job, but unfortunately, most of the time we see him either crying or asking questions like a confused child His or vomiting from stress. Always open. Always open. He always seems confused, and his brow is always furrowed like he's a kid that's being yelled at. But like, I just wanted this guy to be the audience surrogate and have this incredibly nuanced and complicated story arc. Like he goes from firmly stating that his best friend in the entire world is innocent. I want him to be strong in that. And perhaps if we came from a place of strength and then moved into this 
this place of vulnerability and being uncertain and being confused and the toll it takes on him mentally and physically, maybe I would feel more of an arc. But he seemed like so, like a fucking mess the whole way through. He wasn't that audience surrogate that I wanted. What what were your thoughts about it? I don't know. Yeah, he never came across to me as an audience surrogate at all. But um, I think that's what I wanted him to be, I guess. Sure. Yeah. What, well, I want to ask you actually, How, when it comes to Robert Kardashian, how, how, do, you, do you, know more about, you know more about the Kardashians than I do, I'm guessing, mm. just through reality yeah. television and so forth? See, I know nothing about them. I know that Kim Kardashian is a big deal. But like, I don't really, I honestly barely know what for. Like, I really don't. Right, it's okay. just not my reality at all. That stuff is not anything mm-hmm. I care about or pay Can attention to. Can I just say, to. when I was reading like reviews and recaps for this show, people, amazingly enough, after watching episodes like Marsha, Marsha, Marsha and stuff, just any kind of thing that has to do with Kim Kardashian at all, just feel the need to call her a slut or a whore, or really? just say the worst fucking things about this woman. And yes, she was flung into fame because she made a sex tape with a boyfriend that she was with that she loved, and she made something fucking pretty incredible out of that. Mm-hmm. But it just like it drives me crazy the amount of people like go out of their way to say the worst things about this person. That's this reminds me of what's happening at the moment with um, Stormy Daniels. Different, mm. different end of the spectrum in terms of like. Her adult film, you know, career. I'm not even saying that Kim Kardashian had a career with that sort of stuff, but you know, but that she potentially has legitimate claims and legitimate leverage over the United President of the United States. Mm. But everyone just goes, "Oh, who would believe her? She's just a porn star, stripper, you know, yeah. slut." And that's automatically they're not people. Apparently, no, apparently, yeah. apparently. You ever had sex ever, especially on tape? You're not a person. No. Um, well, I just didn't. I honestly didn't even know. The Kardashians were involved in this at all. Like mm. I had never understood that was a fact in the society. So I got a real shock when they had that bit with the Kardashian kids sitting in front of the TV. And I was like, "What uh, the fuck?" I I hated that stuff. It I I wouldn't have it wouldn't have bothered me to have them involved. Obviously, their dad plays a big yes. part in this story. Yeah, um, and they were around at the time, and the problems that caused between Chris and Rob have been discussed before on the show on the um, keeping up with Kardashians. Yeah. Like that like that was well known to me that that like really fractured their relationship for a long time because Nicole right. and Chris were incredibly close. Yeah. And then you know she believed that OJ killed Nicole because of the experience that she'd had of like him being abusive and all that kind of stuff. And Rob just participated in OJ being released, um, the not guilty verdict. So that I I knew that was a, a big thing, and I knew that the kids were around during that. Yeah. So do you think he was played as too sympathetic, Robert Kardashian, because you understand at least from Chris Jenner's perspective that he was really by OJ through most of this? Mm. Um. I I just. He just seemed too weak to me. Like, he just seemed so fucking weepy the whole time. Like, they, they just <laughs> he weren't, was weren't... He was Ross. He was Ross. He was Ross. Um, there just weren't layers we to yeah. this character, you know, and that, that bothered me. Um, yeah. 
I, it's oh, can I also say yeah, Faye Resnick, who's the woman who go like who wrote and that's in inverted commas, um, the book about Nicole that's played by Connie oh, Britton. Yeah. She's also in Real Housewives. Oh, really? Yep. And oh, I wow. think the first episode she appears on, because she was meant to be one of the main cast members, but she didn't want to do press, so they didn't make her one. Um, but she was called the morally corruptible Faye Resnick. That's what one of the other housewives introduces her as. Wow. Which is amazing. And I kind of want that on a coffee mug, but anyway. <laughs> the For me, and again, I know nothing about this person, um, since watching the Made in America- Robert, yeah, watching yeah. the Made in America documentary, um, he doesn't look anything like him. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, I really wish he'd commit it to the mullet because he absolutely has a <laughs> mullet. Mm. Uh, so I'm a bit sad that didn't happen. The I liked what that because it's such a side part of the story. Like R- Robert could would barely even have to. You could probably exercise him apart from maybe episode one and two. Almost exercise him completely from the rest of the show mm. because he's no longer relevant to the events that occur or, or the way that anything goes. Mm. But I did like watching, if he really did start to, and I believe he did start to um, doubt OJ's innocence, then I liked watching that happen, especially sort of from the inside. It was a nice element inside when none of his lawyers were ever going to, even if they suspected that he did do it or believed he did do it, admit that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. To have someone in there to challenge him a little bit on that side, to keep reminding and let OJ um, have to react to that doubt mm. was a good element for me. I kind of thought it was important to have that emotional perspective because otherwise, I think it's important too. I th- I think the performance is my issue with it. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. I didn't I didn't mind it, but again, I also I haven't watched all that. Much. I've, I've watched Friends. I did when it was on. I've not a huge amount of love for the show or anything like that. I haven't seen that David Trimmer a lot. So, as far as I knew, he was playing the character right. I mean, I, I like I like David Trimmer. I thought, I mean, I remember liking Friends back when it was on. I thought he was great in Band of Brothers. Like, I, I like him I and I wanted him to be good in this. But it just didn't, yeah, it felt a little one note to me. Yeah, no, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, one other thing I want to talk about before we get into final thoughts. The episode that's all about the jury I really liked as well. And just Mm -hmm. the opening bit, the drama of these people being locked together in a hotel. (laughs) I don't don't want to put out Mm. this there because I want want to copyright this. That would be an amazing sitcom. Like 22-minute episodes about these 12 people or whatever stuck together every day who have never met each other before on some ridiculously high-profile murder case. And like the drama that they go through as a group of people who are stuck together in a hotel for that entire time sounds like an like amazing, it. amazing like idea for a, for a show. <laughs> so you want like a comedic Twelve Angry Men? Which I eat twelve, amazing. 12 but it's like episodic. Like every day, yeah. there's a new element introduced <laughs> to the case, which somehow seems to reflect on their lives as their sort of relationship with each other develops and so yeah. forth. And the thing is, we never really see the case. Like the case is not the important thing, even though every episode there's this ridiculous element added to it—a sex scandal or a, the, it's gory detail. But then, really, we're interested in the drama between the jurors, even though there's this scandalous case going on in the background. This horrific thing in the horrific background. Horrific thing yeah. happening. Like beheadings and like Yeah, you've got like a comedy bit and in the background you've got these awful like crime scene photos. Yeah. Exactly. I want that made. <laughs> let's make it. Was okay, there anything else before we move on to final thoughts? Uh, no, I think that's it from me. All right, let's do it. Any last words? Final thoughts. 
I got some side notes, just a few. Um, something that bugs me in TV a lot is when they show people's like family photos or framed photos, and they're obviously really poorly photoshopped. Mm. There's the whole bit where they retransform OJ's house to make it more "quote unquote" <laughs> black, right? Yeah. I was impressed that those photos did not look photoshopped. They actually looked like they were legitimate photos. You could see <laughs> the flash that was used inside whatever party they were at and stuff like that. And they just didn't look staged to me. They, yeah. just, they actually looked like someone took a photo at an event. I know it's a dumb thing to care about, but I really appreciate they put in that effort. Um, the bit in the jury episode where they're all watching, talking about whether they should watch Seinfeld or whatever the other show is. And they're Martin, like- I think. Yeah, and the white- uh, jurors really wanted to watch Seinfeld and they got voted down. And the very next scene, we have OJ, OJ talking, talking about, about Kramer. Kramer. I thought that was a perfect little yeah, detail. It was just such a great well little, done. really well written. <laughs> well, he's playing with his golfing buddies, yeah. Exactly. Shall mm-hmm. I take off my watch and jewellery? Fucking oh, badass. badass. So I good. Um, well, I loved that scene. It was exactly what I wanted. I mean, I hated that at the end he had to apologize. Oh, he did apologize. But... Just the fact that, like, they had reached their limit. Yes. Which is yeah, understandable yeah, yeah. after what they'd been through. Yeah, loved it. I love that as well. Um, when Furman goes back onto the stand and they, you know, have asked him about whether he lied about using the N-word and so forth and he keeps using his fourth and Fifth Amendment right, that mm. freaking last question where they ask him whether he may have tampered with evidence. the crime scene yeah. and he does it again. It's just like... Is the most infuriating thing because you know that's the nail in the coffin. Like that mm-hmm. is the thing that's just lost them the case at that point. And you just <sighs> want to punch that piece of shit right. Now. <laughs> and that was I already did because he was a racist asshole. But boy, yeah. after that, oh my god. Um, and of course, I, the revelation at the very end that he is a Fox News commentator. I was just about to is. say that. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> oh, um, awful. A couple of other little details that I love. These are the last two. I don't know if you, do you notice how much how many times there was lipstick on glasses and mugs? Like No, I didn't. Yeah, they just kept, it was just a dumb little thing, but I loved how, you know, Marsh would have a uh, a champagne glass or a cup of coffee or something like that and there'd be lipstick marks left on it. I'm like, why do I never see this in television shows? Everyone just seems to have lipstick that always stays on and never comes off on cups. Really? Was, okay, yeah, I don't know. It was just a yeah. little it happened multiple times. I was like, I really like that's in there. It was probably an accident, but I like that it feels like that gets sat, like sanitized out of shows. Mm. Oh, I got a little bit confused as well. It's Garcetti is the name of the guy in charge of the the LAPD or whatever, right? And we've just He's been, the we've been DA, saying I think the DA, right? And we've been saying Carcetti because yeah. of fucking <laughs> the, wire. the wire. And now I'm just like I have no idea how to ever pronounce names of this, but there's only a G and a C difference. And the last little detail that I loved that I loved is my favorite bit. In case you didn't know this case, right, and you didn't know the details of it, mm-hmm. when the jury goes to deliberations and the mm-hmm. little subtitle down the bottom says, day one of deliberations, yeah, even though it only lasted four hours, <laughs> it's fucking amazing. Because if you didn't know, you go, oh, okay, mm-hmm. this is going to go on for ages. They still put it on there. It's yeah. so it's hilarious to me. Yeah. <laughs> I love that they committed to that. Mm. Um, Which I right. think is great because people in like, I don't know, who watch it in 15 years or whatever, like our kids, like the next generation, who may not know about it. Dimash, yeah, I, th- I assure think it's you there are last. people who are our age that don't know. Pardon? I, sh- I assure you there are people who are our age who, who would watch this and not know. 
Yeah, that's true. There would definitely be people who would not know. Mm. They would under, they would have heard the name OJ Simpson that and that might be it. And yeah, not right. <laughs> really understand what went, went yeah, down. Yeah, they don't vacuum up pop culture like we do. Mm, exactly. Mm. Favourite and least favourite episode. What was your least favourite episode, Damask? My least favourite episode um, is actually episode eight, which is Jury on Trial. Okay. Why, um, why that episode? And don't you it was a great episode and it, it, it was fun to watch. Like it actually had a lot of elements that I found really engaging and humorous. Um but, we, yeah, we just do have to pause from the trial to understand the experience of the jury. While fascinating, I just I was conscious of the fact that we had been removed a lot from the people that I had come to care about for much of the season. So, yeah, it, I, I'm going to choose that one just because I, I love the season as a whole so much. What um, about you? I have not chosen a least favorite episode because I couldn't come up with one. <laughs> Fair uh, enough. We've all been there, buddy. You've done it a couple of times now, so I'm I'm invoke mm. my right to do it. I <laughs> I was trying to think back and like every episode provides something mm. great. I yeah. really didn't there was not one episode where I felt like I was dragging or that mm-hmm. I wasn't engaged. And that's that's a real testament to the show. Honestly, Absolutely I think that it's, it is. is so, so watchable. What about your favorite episode? Mine is episode six, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Yep. I think we're going to agree on that, right? No, I disagree on that. My favorite episode oh is different, God. but go on. Oh, oh, that's shocking to me. I, th- I think it was, I think it's a perfect example of what this show does really well in which it takes, this is, you know, this episode's focus, which it was sexism. It was the mistreatment of Marsha Clark throughout the trial. We see her struggle against kind of all of the different forces that are coming at her we get to focus a lot of our time on Sarah Paulson, which is fantastic. I think she's a st- – I mean, they're all great, but for me she's the standout of the season. Um, yeah, I just thought it was a almost a perfect example of what this show does really, really well. What's yours? Um, I just want to say that was my second favourite episode, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. And at the point of like watching the episode, I was like, this is incredible. Mm. I was really loving it. But the only episode that beat it for me was episode nine, Manna from Heaven, which mm. is when – we really focus down on, um, yeah, Johnny and then the Furman tapes and just sort of dive into the moral and political grayness of, yes, this is a murder trial. Two innocent people were killed brutally. And then looking at Johnny's objective of and the what he was trying to do in terms of trying to help the community, the the African-American community in LA, mm. and finding it quite a compelling argument for what he was doing. And again, not mm-hmm. saying that he should have done it or that, you know, you know, this is an excuse, the good reason for OJ Simpson to get off, but just felt it was really, really, really well done and they handled it so well. I I just thought it was, it was so morally and politically thick. Mm-hmm. I just found it great. I really, really loved it. I thought it was... And similar to what you were saying about Marsha, 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 I think it's a great example of exactly what this show can do, that it could dive in and that they could be separate episodes. Like I said that earlier, but I love that they were distinguishably individual. I really, really like that. Yeah. Uh, What's your final score for this season? I I really have been tossing up between 4.5 and 5. Ooh, wow. Yeah. Just because 
Maybe I'll go with 4.5 because I think there were some lines that didn't work for me. Sure. There were, I think, Rob Kardashian. There's probably another actor out there that could have brought more nuance to the yep. character. Um, but ultimately, I think it's such a wonderfully constructed whole, um, but has within it such uh, beautifully put together segments. Um, and to be able to create tension, like the amount of tension that is in this show, when mm-hmm. I know what's going to happen, yep. like that is quite masterful mm-hmm. to do that. And I think the way they do that is instead of focusing on the events, we care about the characters within. So while we m- might know that something is coming, we don't exactly know how the characters within it are going to react or what they're going to have to go through or, you know, persevere through. And just to watch them either crumble or stand triumphant, like it really is character focused. And that's what makes this kind of Greek tragedy of a show work. Um, so, yeah, it's... Uh, mm, yeah, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go with 4.5. <laughs> I feel like you want to give it a 5. I feel like you... you, uh, you I feel like you're only not giving it a 5 because you think... That's I'm worried about giving too- it a five. Why? Why are you worried about giving it a five? What are you worried is going to happen? Do you feel know. it like it's a five? You seem to love it. I do really like it. I really, really like it, but I don't love it. So, I'm go- no, I'm going to stick with 4.5. Okay, cool. Awesome. Yep. Um, I similarly going to give it a 4.5. I was actually tossing out the other way. I was between a 4.5 and a four. Right. But the, th- the thing that m- maybe want to give it a four rather than a 4.5, I think, is just that there is a sort of trashiness to it in that mm. it's so dramatized. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, this is what the show was trying to be. Like, yeah. I think it's the best version of itself. That's the it thing. It wasn't it was- trying to do something else and failing. It was yes. just succeeding in what it wanted to be. Yeah. That's the thing, right? And it, it exactly it. It, it, it actually absolutely hit the bullseye on what he was aiming for. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it was so watchable, engaging from the first episode. I was just eating it up. Sometimes these things are chores. This was not. I was always looking forward to watching the next episode. And I came away knowing more, understanding more, feeling like I'd been educated, feeling like... And surprisingly, especially the more research I've done, finding out how technically accurate it was in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. um, even though I'm sure it made up a lot of you know conversations and, and actual and little events in between the big ones. But um, no, I've, I was really impressed by it. I enjoyed it way more than I thought I was going to, honestly. Yeah. I, especially someone who um, I'm not a Ryan Murphy fan. I've not watched really anything of his. I've watched a couple episodes of Great Glee. I've watched an episode of American Horror Story here or there when my girlfriend's watching it, but I've never watched a full season of any of his stuff. Um, I was really, really impressed. Really, really impressed. So 4.5 from me. Uh, that's it. I'm going to start wrapping this up, but I just want to remind everyone that if you're interested, after we do our normal wrap up, uh, we are going to talk about, have a spoiler discussion uh, about the Avengers Infinity War. So look forward to that if you want and stick around for that if you want. In the meantime, though, I'm going to thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com or you can email us at contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com. You can tweet us at huntingscast. You can find myself, Broderick Gordis, on Twitter at bgordisdamask. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at maskymoo, M-A-S-K-Y-M-O-O. 
Thank you very much to Sean Kirkpatrick, aka at Shawnee Boy Draws, for his logo and design work. And uh, congratulations to him and Katie. They got married on the weekend. Yeah, uh, we were both it was at the wedding. It was a beautiful wedding. Fantastic. It was a beautiful wedding. And um, I wish them all happiness in the world. Thank you to Jordan Calavis for our theme song and Lucas Heil of Birthday Loyalty Club for our bumpers. You can find their work in our show notes. Um, links to their work, I should say, in the show notes. If you enjoy what we do, we'd really appreciate you sharing the podcast with others who you think might also enjoy listening. We also appreciate your positive reviews on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. We are on YouTube now, so you can find our stuff there as well. Just audio, no video, unfortunately. Not yet, anyway. Next week, we will be back to discuss... Uh, the assassination of Gianni Versace, American Crime Story. So, technically season two of American Crime Story. I'm very much looking forward to that now. I mm. wasn't necessarily that sucked about it a couple of weeks ago. We decided we are going to do it, but now I'm ready to go. Um, and that's it. As I said, keep listening if you want to hear our thoughts on Avengers Infinity War. Otherwise, thank you very much for listening. We will see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. You're now entering the spoiler zone. Okay, so we're taught we've seen Avengers: Infinity War. Yeah, we have. We have. Uh, um, we've both been anticipating this uh, a fair amount, haven't we? We're pretty big um, MCU fans. We've mm-hmm. seen all their movies. We have. Though it, it took me a bit longer than you did. I I get through go through stages where I just I can't get around to watching them all in time before they leave the cinema. Yeah. But yes, now I'm. Totally up to date. We went and saw it today at the cinema. It was at very exciting. O- at the first possible screening, it was just filled with Marvel fans and mm-hmm. no real spoilers had made it out yet. We'd done a good job to make sure we avoided those because we're getting this like a day and a half, two days before the United States, which is amazing. I love that. I that always forget that. Yeah. It's incredible that we get them so early. Um, so, overall feelings after uh, seeing it, Damask? I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. And I was worried, I think, because I was really excited about it. Yeah. I was really looking forward to it. And so, obviously, you think like, oh, God, if this lets me down, I'm going to be in a bad mode. Um, And I'm always worried because Marvel has been so consistently good that the next film is going to be the fall. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're waiting for the bad one. Yeah, exactly. There hasn't but been an outright stinky yet. This is their 19th, 19th <laughs> movie. It's and amazing. they have made, on average, good to great films. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is, yeah, no, I liked it. My When I got home, my girlfriend asked me, she's like, out of the three Avenger movies, is this the best? And I was like, oh, as a film, as what you could say, like a traditional film I think people would most people would probably agree that the first Avengers is the best. You could watch the first Avengers having not watched the other films. You're exactly. going to be missing out on details, obviously, and yep. he's not going to be we've as invested, our, but you could. Yeah, we've got our clear structure that we're all used to, that we understand what a film is. This is what it is. For me, I think this is my favourite Avengers film. Like, I was in... And I was having a good time. I was having a bad time emotionally. <laughs> um, I was laughing. Yeah, no. I Big thumbs up for me. What about you, Brod? Um, yeah, I, I feel exactly the same way. It's funny talking thinking about that now. I think I need to see it a couple more times before I decide if it's my favorite or not. Mm. But my initial reaction is that yeah, I think it is. It's, it's so weird 
because you're 100% right. It's like as a standalone movie, and I've seen a lot of, again, we keep talking about Cameron because he was on the show last week, but I, I really respect his opinion on these things. And he's not as invested in the MCU as I think you and I are generally. Mm. Like we've really sold our soul to Marvel at this stage. We're we've, in. We've yeah. bought in big time. <laughs> um, I've allowed myself to get really emotionally invested in, in this in these yeah. movies and the they you look at it from the out like I look at it from just a a a structural point of view and it doesn't have a film in there. Like it doesn't have a traditional beginning, middle mm-hmm. and end. And that should mean it's a bad film. But it's not. Because I give a shit about this world and about these characters. Mm-hmm. And I've seen the 18 previous episodes and I use 18 I use episodes specifically. Mm. I was jumped in head first. I knew where I was. I was completely orientated. And all these things happened in front of me. And it kind of is just a bunch of stuff happening. There are very mm-hmm. few real arcs or complete storylines in this film. Yeah. But I was fucking completely in. And I'm surprised that I don't have more criticisms. I only really have a couple. And like even think back to the first Avengers. And I love the first Avengers film. I saw that a bunch of times. And I'm still impressed that that movie works at all. Mm-hmm. It has a pacing problem at the start. It takes a while to get going. Once it, get go- it gets going, it's great. They, when they get the characters together, that's great. And the ending is fantastic. It's got a really good third art, third act. But that opening, it drags on. It takes too long. The second film, I like Age of Ultron quite a bit. But it has even more pacing issues. It's got too many characters. It's trying to do too much heavy lifting. The th- actually, that's a big difference. Age of Ultron was trying to service all these other movies. It was actually trying yeah. to get ready for like... It was the awkward Ragnarok. middle child. Totally. And it was thinking about what happens next for these characters. But this mm-hmm. film only has to worry about taking those characters in and making them a part of this story that's happening right well, I think, now. Like, this is what we have led to. Yes. Which really frees the story here. Yeah. And I think also when I'm looking at this film and I'm enjoying it so much, like you said, it's because I've had the 18 films that predate it because yep. this really is... This is a very different way of telling stories through film. This is what Marvel have done. It's a totally new experience yeah. and it's very exciting. And I'm so glad that we are be, like able to go to the movie. Like This is the generation that gets to really appreciate that. But this truly is, when people say comic book movies, they think, oh, it just means a superhero. Now I'm trying to, like I'm kind of changing my thinking in which comic book movie is this long form storytelling that Marvel has done. It is like you said different episodes that lead up to these comic events. This yes. is what it has become and that's what makes it so exciting. That's what makes it so good and they do it so well. Like this could all fall apart but it hasn't yet. And this is like the 19th one. The I've tried to follow along with Marvel Comics at different times, right? One time I tried to jump in when um, Secret Invasion was happening. Mm-hmm. And that was a mistake because <laughs> I didn't have any investment in those characters because yeah. I hadn't been reading Spider-Man or, or Captain America or I don't even remember. There was a lot of different things going on at the time. Mm. And so all of these different 
comic book stories and and titles were coming together into one event. And so trying to follow that when I didn't know what had been happening in the, in the recent past with these characters meant that it was basically impenetrable. It was just watching a bunch of characters fight on in these images on pages. Right. And okay, I imagine yeah. that's exactly what this movie would be <laughs> for someone who hasn't watched the previous films. Yes, absolutely. So it's it when we say it's an event rather than a movie, it that is all the good and all the bad. But if you're someone who's been reading and keeping up, or in this case watching keeping up, it totally pays off for you. Mm-hmm. One of the things that worried me going into this was the run length, because this is the the longest Marvel film so far, I believe, at two hour, plus two and a half hours, something like that, two and a half hours plus. Yeah. I can't... It didn't feel anything like two and a half hours. It no, was it over didn't. in a fucking breeze. And I'll I'd be honest, seen, I, w- I didn't know it was the longest one and I was actually shocked when you just said that. I was like, really? Yeah. Because um, it, it, it doesn't feel like that. It didn't at all. It just kept me completely engaged. Mm-hmm. I didn't get bored once, which is incredible for a two and a half hour film. There was no yeah. point where I was like, oh, this is too slow. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that was, there was just, the pacing was incredible because it was, there was constant action, which also could be a bad thing. I mean, it, I am not a huge fan of action scenes. Like that's when I check out, like I really am in it for character. Yeah. And like, you, this is a, there's a lot of action scenes in this, but once again, because I was so invested in character, though every action scene had stakes in it. Yes. Which goes to, and this is definitely a, a spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. At, at the very beginning, when Loki dies, that is the creative team telling us shit is real. Anyone can die right now. Anyone yep. can fucking die. Here is the first example that shit is real. Therefore, in every scene, every action scene, action-heavy scene, I'm worried for everyone on screen. Whereas in a lot of, you know, sometimes superhero films, I know that they're not going to die. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, I, I kind of can zone out and feel safe zoning out. I did not feel safe <laughs> zoning out in this film at all. And there are multiple times where they, where they use that trick as well. So... Mm-hmm. Like you said, Loki dies at the start. Um, Idris Elba's character, who's Hildeheim, whatever his name is, mm-hmm. dies as well. And I think basically all of Asgard is death dead. Oh yeah, yeah R.I.P. Like, like Thor is the last Asgardian now. It seems like, um, Shit, sort yeah. of, which is pretty incredible. And Thor does a lot with that as well, which oh I really like. Oh my god, the performance! God bless Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth, far out. And you think about Thor, right, in the original sort of series of films. Thor was probably the least interesting character of those original Avengers. I remember Avengers. thinking that while I was watching, I was like, how did I come to care so much about this character? Not only to care about him, but find him fucking hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. And so, the transformation that Taika Waititi did with Thor Ragnarok, which mm. both- Made him hilarious, so entertaining mm-hmm. as all get out. He was I always liked Chris Hemsworth's performance of the Thor, but yeah. that but they made him really funny and then made me give a shit as well about him like I did before. Yeah. It's incredible what Chris Hemsworth's doing with this character. And it, oh, I I love that. I love that they can do that with Thor. Because he was always dragging behind what Steve Rogers and Tony Stark were doing in terms mm. of emotional stakes. Um but then you've got like this a bit later in the film. Obviously, Vision comes close to dying a bunch of times. And then there's a bit where Tony, again, spoilers, Tony gets stabbed by Thanos. Yeah. And and like, oh, here it is. Here's like, the moment. It. 
and the audience felt it too. I'll tell you what, it was really good being in that audience. Yeah, Apart from a friend of ours who had a really bad experience of people talking too much, the energy in that room was incredible. I do need to see it again, actually, just because I, I missed... 20% of the dialogue, either from laughing or people clapping. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was, it was a lot so of clapping. much cheering. I felt like I was in America. Yeah. I know. It did. Yeah, it was weird. Um, and it's like, yep, he here he goes. He's going to die. And they make you believe it because it feels like Tony's time is coming to an end and people are dying. Mm-hmm. Loki's dying. People are dying. It's going to happen. He doesn't die. Instead, they just kill everyone fucking around him, including oh, Peter Parker, in what might be... <sighs> The most emotional I've ever been in a Marvel film. Holy motherfucking shit. It was so hard to watch. To see this teenager beg to live is holy shit. It, like, it's a lot to deal with. Like, we've already seen a bunch of our favourites just turn to dust in front of our fucking eyes. And it is awful. And then to have the young Peter Parker gripping for dear life on Tony Stark, this man that he has brought him into this, but has like so wanted to protect Protect him. him, Yeah, He is a mentor. He cares about him so much to have to watch Peter be so afraid of dying is fucking heartbreaking. Tom Holland kills it in that moment as well. Tom Holland absolutely kills it. And so does... So does Robert Downey Jr., honestly. Yeah. Like, they all mm. play with such weight. And it's mm. interesting. Uh, well, I'll come back to that in predictions anyway. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting, like you said, that you are such an, you know, you're not really a huge action person and yet mm. you felt invested in all of that. Yeah. i got to say, the, the movie looks really good as well. Like, Ooh, yes. it's definitely CG, but I never felt like it was bad CG at any stage. I was totally bought into it. It was colourful and bright. Mm. It varied its environments up a lot. The CGI characters that are in it, and there are five main ones really, are, that are new ones in terms of the bad guys, are all pretty great. I really liked all of them, to be honest. Yeah, it was definitely like, oh, these characters for me could definitely be in a video game, but it didn't detract from they could be like the characters or their purpose. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, but you, when you talk about the characters as well, and I think you saw as a good example here, the thing that helps them while they don't that while it's not character focused all the time the they do know how they they know how to write these characters so well the interplay between them mm-hmm. that the little moments you get all pay off really well like there's so many funny moments or touching moments or just bits where i smile because i'm seeing uh I mean, Rocket Raccoon with Thor, that scene is incredible. <laughs> um, all the stuff with Spider-Man and there's a great bit with him and Doctor Strange or like there's there's tons of them. There's so many. It's, it's innumerable. You can't count them all. Yeah. It's um, because we have been given the time to understand who these people are. So, we already kind of know what that dynamic is going to look like. Like we can, we are able to picture it in our minds, but then to have the opportunity to see it. Yep is so exciting and they nail it and they mix it up in a really fun way, a fun new way where we, yeah, we do get to see people that, I mean, I didn't expect to to see. I mean, I didn't, didn't really know what to expect with this film, but seeing Iron Man hang out with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Awesome. Seeing, like you said, Thor with Rocket. Amazing. <laughs> there was one scene, was it with... Tony and the Guardians, and it's just 
There's a Tony just stops and like has this like ten second long pause of like def- just he's defeated just- because they're such fucking morons. Yeah, it was um we kick names and take ass or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was said by it was said <laughs> and by he's Mantis. Just, just pause, sigh, <laughs> look down, and it like. I fuck it, like, I lost it. I it was, it was beautiful because Tony Stark is so often the quick-worded, like, quick-witted <laughs> guy who will say something. For him to just, like, be speechless. He was to- exasperated. He's like, fuck. <laughs> Another great example of mixing up dynamics, which was, like, pitch perfect, was when Steve Rogers meets Groot. Oh, I just, love this bit. I pissed it's myself. It's so good. In which... <laughs> Groot, you know, is doing his Groot thing and Thor introduces Groot to Steve Rogers. Like, this is my friend. What's he call him? Tree? Tree. This is my friend Tree. Tree. And obviously Groot says, I am Groot. And Steve Rogers, being the beautiful Steve Rogers, takes it for what it is. And he's like, I'm Steve Rogers. And he's yeah. so sincere and beautiful. And it's, it's just a like- perfect cat moment. It's a perfect, perfect cat moment. Amazing. It's so good. It's so amazing. Oh. Mm. Um, I can't. I keep thinking about the moments as well, just from a visual perspective. Just how crazy sci-fi fantasy it gets, so mm. metal it gets as well. When the bit with Thor, where they're making his new axe, and mm-hmm. just how ridiculous that like space forge thing is. It's yeah. so. It's, it's so, so big and dramatic, and rah! it's yeah. so crazy, right? Like, what film gets to do that and just be a part, just a little part of this movie, just this. Mm. Huge space furnace thing. It's so ridiculous. But one of the other things was like we're talking about how much action there is, and there are so so many characters that have been introduced over these nineteen films now. And the big question I had was how are they going to break this up? How are they going to have so many characters and give them their, you know, their due course? And the thing that they do really well is that they introduce them bit by bit. Mm-hmm. Like we don't really meet Steve and uh, Black Widow and stuff until about the middle of the movie. Like, yeah. it takes a long time for them to get into the film, and that's really well done. Because mm-hmm. when they're introduced, you get excited. It's like, oh my God, they've arrived. And the other thing they do a really good job of is often in films, and I use The Phantom Menace as the best example of this. If you haven't watched The Phantom Menace documentary, um, I highly recommend you do because it's amazing there's watching a documentary? People. Yeah, there's a documentary that was on the DVD that you should watch that oh. you can just watch the train. It's like a slow motion train wreck. <laughs> Of like everything from choosing Jake Lloyd when there was obviously a better actor to play that role of Anna, young Anakin right. to just the seeing it all come together and realizing it was too much. Particularly the ending of that film, there are four battle sequences all taking place at the same time and moving between them is kind of a fucking mess. Um, and so that was my big worry here is there's going to be too many heroes, too many groups all doing their own missions at the same time and came between is going to be difficult. But there's not. The film does a really good job of really only having two things happening, two big things happening simultaneously Mm. and never ever seeming to move between them any faster than within five minute blocks. So you don't have this like 30 seconds keep updating on this one, 30 seconds to this yeah. person, 30 it's seconds going to this group. It's flurry of too much information. Yeah. That it's, it's really, really, really well constructed in that sense. And it's, I, I thought it worked really well like that. It was just, you get a nice big moment with these ones and you go back to these guys and you spend a nice big section with these guys. And it, it mm. wasn't this crazy flurry. There are some times yeah. there's a few things happening simultaneously and they make you realize this is all happening at the same moment, but it's it's not too many times. I yeah. really like that. I guess in a way, like the way that you just explained that to me, Ben, it's, it does feel a little bit like 
all the different comics in a major comic event in which like you'll read your Wolverine or yeah. then you'll go to your Spider-Man. And that's what it feels like. We get a little splice, but something that we can sit in for a while and then we'll go to the next one. Yeah. Well, that's the thing as well. Often in a like comic, like a full issue of a comic book might only take place over five minutes sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like the events that happen in one comic, because a comic book usually tells a story over like six six issues. Mm. Um, it they sort of almost they do separate into those well that I, an issue might only be five minutes really of screen time and that works quite well. You're 100 percent right in the yeah. the way that this happens. And I also love that. Thankfully, they didn't feel the need. They're like, oh, you know, obviously the people love Captain America, so let's have like a really heavy or. A, a moment with Captain America that takes way too long just because we know the people love him. Like, we get, we know who Cap is. We know who a lot of these characters are. We don't need to be wasting storytelling time focused on them just because they're a fan favorite. Like, we get to see them. We understand their place in the larger story, their place within the battle, that we don't waste time telling superfluous stories, which is good. I think that's a very deliberate choice as well for a reason yes. I'll get to when we get to Ooh. the end as well. Okay. We'll finish with this. Um, the thing I also want to talk about though that I, I think is really smart as well and this is the Russo brothers know what they're doing. That's the thing that I'm coming away from this now. <laughs> Three movies they've done now and all of them have been great. They understood that we've been hyping up Thanos since the first Avengers film but that he has never been a character. Mm-hmm. He's had a couple of scenes in Guardians of the Galaxy and he's been mentioned a couple of other times pretty much, but he's never really had any... We don't haven't got to know him. So, this looming threat of Thanos has meant nothing. If there is anyone in, that you could argue is the main character of this film, it is Thanos. <laughs> Absolutely. We get to learn about him mm-hmm. and he is really well done he could so easily just be another world eating villain like we've seen so many of them ronan mm-hmm. in um guys of the galaxy is a good example who i like that performance i like his character in terms of like uh, he's watchable but mm-hmm. he i don't know him he's just this religious zealot there's nothing he's to a bad him. force he's just yeah. a bad force it, dark elf guy Malkyor or whatever his name was from Thor The Dark World example. Blah. It, there are lots of them, especially in Marvel. But recently, they've been getting these things right. Michael Keaton is great in Spider-Man Homecoming. Mm-hmm. Michael B. Jordan is great in Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Um, they've really been getting this stuff right lately. Kate Blanchett, I liked her performance, but again, not really the most like she was interesting. kind of a dark force for me, but yeah. yeah. Mm. They take time to get to understand who Thanos is mm-hmm. and even why he's doing it. It's funny, since watching the movie, I saw a tweet. And I can't remember who it was, so I can't um, attribute this to whoever it was. But, oh, actually, no, it was. I do know who it was. I'm pretty sure it was um, Movie Bob, um, Bob Chipman. Um, he does great rev- uh, like TV and movie essays on YouTube. And he was talking about how Thanos is almost like one of these superheroes who has just... He's at the end, like he's just been doing it for so long. He's gotten old and curmudgeonly and like worn down. And so mm-hmm. he's resorted to these extreme measures to try and yeah. save the world. He's just gone to a place where he's like, mm. none of this shit works. This is the way I save the universe. This is his version of the Accords, really. Yeah. Iron Man had the Accords and Thanos now has, you know, mass genocide, you know, yeah. one step to the other. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like, it's, 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 
yeah, no, the fact that we spend so much time with Thanos, the fact that he is able to explain his ideology that makes yep. you go, oh, yeah, actually, I mean, I, I get it. Like, resources are not infinite, you know what I mean? And, like, maybe balance does. Obviously, killing half of all existence is not right, and I'm not advocating for that. Um, I'm not pro-Thanos, so I just wanted to put that <laughs> out there. But we... But we do kind of, we have an access point to him. We can have an understanding of his motivation. And not only that, but we have a personal connection. Yes. We have his relationship with Gamora, which is so important to humanizing him to us. And just just connect, like we instantly have a connection because we care about Gamora. Yes. Because we care about Gamora and we care about Nebula Mm. to... To have them interact with him mm-hmm. and Gamora in particular fucking has some real emotions. Like there is some complicated big stuff. emotions. There. there was one bit in particular, the bit where she really gets close to killing him. It looks like mm. the outpouring of emotion that comes out of her. You realize just how much she's been internally dealing with this mm-hmm. for so yeah. long. Mm. And it, it, it helps to make him real so much quicker. Absolutely. And what also helps make him real is that, so this is our our big bad of the film, and yet we see a flashback in which, while he's doing these terrible things, is so tender and kind towards Gamora and very paternal and protective of her, of this little girl that he has just met. So to see your bad guy genuinely show care to someone that we care about is very interesting well, and interesting. captivating. It's interesting because it's this weird, gross, like, I've just killed your parents and now you're my daughter. Like, it's really deranged. But he, there, it is a version of caring, this deranged version of caring. Mm. He definitely, she means a lot to him mm-hmm. in a gross way, but... She does. And the movie really sells that because he has to for something for that event with the Soul Stone to take place, which yeah. did not see Red Skull showing up in this film. That came no. out fucking nowhere. No, there was one point in the cinema where you turned to me and you're like, is that Littlefinger? And I was like, no, I think it's Hugo Weaving. And I said that not even remembering that Hugo Weaving was in a Marvel film, that yeah. he was Red Skull. And then off comes the little hood and I, oh, yeah, red face, no nose. I know you. Mm. It was interesting is that that my I didn't even for a second it took me a second to realize who it was because he was wearing like the Grim Reaper outfit and mm. Thanos's origin story or Thanos' story in the comics I believe is that he's trying to court death like his whole plan is yeah. to he wants to uh, does he make death like his girlfriend for a that's while? the that's what he wants to do right so right. his idea is if he kills half the population of the universe like it's like a it's a, a big show of like his devotion to death right is what right. he's trying to do. And so, when there's this like death-like figure, I thought for a second they're actually going to go there. I think it's a smart move they haven't, though I would have liked it. Mm-hmm. I kind of like this weird, like, that's a super cosmic weird thing to do, to have death yeah. be personified, right? Um, people might find that a bridge too far. But I sort of like where they've chosen to go with him in, in the movies. It fits, it fits with what the movies have been doing this whole time. So, yeah, Thanos, and like, he really is super imposing as well, as much as, like, he... He he seems defeatable, but he also seems 
fucking menacing and like he would mess you up. Yeah, at big, the big beginning, way. I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be intimidated by this guy. I don't know if I'm going to feel that fear. But as the movie went on, I felt it. I, yeah. I realized how formidable he was. And he doesn't have to be this giant present presence. He doesn't have to like... You know, he he takes a punch. Like, he can get into a tussle. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, like, he is so much stronger. He's so much smarter than everyone around him. Um, I kind of just want to start wrapping this up. Is there anything else in particular you wanted to talk about? I mean, probably, but not nothing on the top of my head. Were there any other... Uh, we talked about... I was going to talk about surprises. We oh, did talk about Red Skull. There's yes, one moment on. that I loved. Yeah, well, I want to talk about all, that. If you had favorite yeah. highlights, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go on, um, go on. It was when... I believe Scarlet Witch is like down in the trench and that bad chick is over her and she's like, yes. oh, you're all, I've got you all alone. And then bam, Black Widow's there. and She's, she's not like, alone. She's not alone. And then bam, what's that lady's name? Shuri. The- Shuri. Shuri. Shuri's there. And it's just so fucking cool. And I like, I got a little teary watching it. I'm like, oh, this is, this is awesome to see like three fucking badass like superhero chicks fighting together. It yeah. just made me go, where's this movie? I want this movie too. Can we please have <laughs> yeah. this female Avengers film or whatever you want it, want it to be? I would, I'd love to see that. That's what they mm. need to have that coming up sometime. Yeah. Um, yeah well, any other surprises for you? Anything else that stood out? Nothing else? Just I- that they lost. <laughs> I mean. So, did you not see that coming? That they were going to lose at the end of this? No, I didn't. Really? I mean, I, no, I mean, I figured that Thanos was going to get the the complete gauntlet or yeah. the stones. I figured that was going to happen. I did not realize he was going to complete his plan of killing half of existence. Really? I did not I did not see that coming. Oh, so like, that was the thing I was assured was going to happen. Like Oh, I, t- I really didn't think that was going to happen. I thought maybe the next movie that might happen. But fuck, yeah, no, I was like because when when Thor's like, what did you do? And I was like, yeah, what did he do? I don't understand. And like his gauntlet's all fucked up. Yeah. And then people just start turning to dust. And I'm like, I mean, everyone in the audience gasped. I mean, some people a lot louder and more obnoxious than I did. But I was yeah. like, oh, my God. Like, and then everyone is just going. Like, that was... I think that's unlike any experience I've had in a movie before. Like I was, I think my eyes were fucking massive because I just couldn't believe it. And it was so sad. It was so tragic. Oh, it was, it was great. It was a great experience. It was, it was fantastic that the way they did it as well. And it it always comes down to execution, right? Mm. It, because it was just this question of there are, there'll be two people on screen which one's going to go? Like, yeah, who goes exactly. next? Yeah, exactly. So it's like watching, Russian roulette and you're like, yeah. oh, God. Yeah. Which Who's going? Which one's going to go? And I couldn't believe, particularly yeah, around Tony. Yeah, that's totally it. Yep. Like, everyone around Tony. Um, Groot went, but that was back on things. Sorry. Um, Mantis went. Drax went. Yeah. Then uh, Star-Lord went. Mm. And then Peter and it was just Nebula and Tony left on Titan. I was just like, motherfucker. When Peter started to go, because it seemed a lot slower than everyone yeah. else, and it was just like a bit of like 
specs coming off here. I'm like, no, that's just like space debris. I was like, no, nah, it's not <laughs> happening. Like it's gonna it's gonna be revealed that like it's it's like a bit of a joke. But nope, nope. R.I.P. Peter. <laughs> oh, God. I I really love the ending on Thanos just sitting admiring mm. his sunset and the you know Doing his exactly work completed what exactly yeah. what he said as well. It's such a it's great to end on him. I loved the post credit sequence as well. Um, mm-hmm. Nick Fury and Maria Hill, and then the the pager to Captain Marvel. Yeah, nice little hint there going forward. But also, I just loved about that scene was them being in New York or wherever they were, and seeing the effects of this happening in a place mm-hmm. that the Avengers weren't. So half the people disappearing, the helicopter falling from the fucking sky, like mm-hmm. the devastation. It was just yeah. like uh, the leftovers or any of those things. Yeah, like, like the fact that like this has affected everyone, not only like obviously the general population, but people like who that we know that weren't involved, like Clint, like who in his family is now yeah. dead that's going to make him get back in the fight. Who Like who in Ant-Man's family is, you know, going to be dead so he gets back in the fight. You know, like they're like this is – going to have affected every one of our players so astronomically that it makes me really excited for the character developments to come. Do you have any criticisms of the film? Any weaknesses? I think I'm too close to it at the moment. Like, I think I'd probably need to watch it again in which the the excitement has dissipated and I can look at it with a more critical eye. Sure. What about you? I've got... One is theoretical and the other one is actual. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> Pardon me. The theoretical one was that it kind of it, it goes unexplained as to why, and we talked about this earlier um, off off air, why Thanos is attacking now. It just seems like mm. there's no yeah. reason that it's happening this second. But I say it's theoretical criticism because it doesn't really matter. It's not a detail that matters. Like because I care, I just care about it happening. I don't really care why now. I'm just mm-hmm. glad that it is because it's bloody yeah. paying off and it's fucking great. Like mm. it's all so well executed that that question of, well, why didn't you do this last week or five <laughs> years ago doesn't really bother me at all. Mm. Um, but my would real. It, would it have on, been because maybe he's only recently captured Nebula? and found out that someone knows where the soul stone is and he wanted knowledge of all the stones before that he started so people couldn't... That is a very, very good point that maybe he was waiting to do it so that it would happen quickly. Mm, before people than, could really formulate a plan. You know what? We did miss 20% of the dialogue because of laughing <laughs> and, and clapping. There's true. every chance we missed the line. So maybe I'll look forward to watching it again because maybe it's not an issue at all. The other one is, and I do think this is a real criticism, is there is a real pivotal plot point where they the guys on Titan have Thanos down and, and mm, Peter and... That's right, um, yeah. And Tony are trying to take the glove off him and they've got under control. Mantis is keeping him subdued and then Quill shows up and finds out that he's killed Gamora Mm. and goes apeshit and fucks it up. Basically, gets gets, puts Mantis off and Thanos is able to get away right as they were about to defeat him. And that, for me, was a little cheap. It just makes Peter seem really dumb. Mm Mm-hmm. Because um, he's so emotional like that. That being just thinking about now, though, we do know him to be ridiculously emotional. He reacted so quickly when he found out that 
ego had killed his mum. He, he didn't ask questions at all. He just started shooting his dad. So it's within his character, which is fine, mm-hmm. but it just felt, felt a little bit cheap because it was just kind of happening. Thanos didn't try and manipulate him at all. Yeah, I, just- I think that's the thing is if Thanos knew that Peter is so emotional and Thanos in that moment is trapped, if he had used that knowledge of Peter against him in being like, I killed Gamora, knowing that Peter was going to react in that way. Yeah, if it was a little better constructed than Peter digging it up by himself and kind yeah. of laying his own trap, which felt felt strange. That's mm. the problem. Yeah, I'm looking. Maybe if I rewatch it again, maybe I missed a detail and he he was manipulated a little bit more. I mean, Thanos is theoretically smart enough to do that, but mm. we'll see. Um, but the, uh, the only other reason that doesn't work for me is because, especially because Peter dies at the end, I wish he'd stuck around because I would have liked him to face the consequences of that. Mm-hmm. Tony really could have taken him to task for that and it would have been good yeah. to have this man-child made accountable for his action. Yeah. Um, the fact that he's not going to be at least in a big portion of the next instalment is a bit of a shame there. That's that. That's literally all I've got. <laughs> that's that's all I've got for criticisms. Um, yeah. Before we go, I think we've said all our highlights. No other highlights you want to talk about? Do you have any predictions? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know what the next um, phase or whatever looks like. Like, I, I generally don't look ahead. Well, we're I mean, only, you're usually the only, person that tells me what's coming next. We're only three movies away. We have Ant-Man right. versus uh, Ant-Man the Wasp. That's mm-hmm. this year. Then we have Captain Marvel. Yay! I'm excited about that one. And she'll theoretically be in Infinity War Part 2 or whatever they call that. It doesn't have a title yet, I found mm. out. And then we have Avengers 4. So we're a year away. Oh. Wait, so it's the Ant-Man one, Captain Marvel, and then Avengers. And then Avengers, yeah. Oh, so it's not long at all. No, it's only a year. It's not a three-year wait or anything like that. It's just a year. Oh, wow. There's only two oh, movies between exciting. now and then. Okay. Um, so I was saying to our friend Joel, who I see next to, is this, do we consider this to be um, phase four or is this phase 3.5? Like what phase is this of the of uh, the Marvel MCU? I think it's yeah, the end of phase three or 3.5. Right. My prediction is, well, first of all, I want to point out who stayed alive at the end of this. And so you were saying they didn't really have those big that big Cap moment, right? Well, yeah. the big thing we still haven't had is Cap and Tony get back together, which we've all been anticipating ever since mm-hmm. the uh, Civil War, Civil right? Yeah. I think this is very deliberate. I think Thor gets there's Thanos and um, Wanda and uh, Vision, and Thor sort of get all of the emotional stuff in this mm. thing, and they've deliberately kept. The stuff between Black Widow and the Hulk and the stuff between Tony and Cap to the side. And they're not really touched at all. So, I think they're going to be a huge part of this. In fact, I think in terms of scale, in a lot of ways, the next film is going to be much smaller and much more character focused. It's going to be emotional because we've got to get to the payoff and the conclusion to those arcs and relationships, I think, finally. Sounds Um, good to me. I like it. I predict what will happen is that the main goal is going to be to get the glove from Thanos and to use the glove to reverse the damage he did this, mm-hmm. right? But then what happens is they destroy the glove 
And once the glove's destroyed, then people are going to really fucking die. At which point, either Cap or Iron Man or mm. both are no more, is my guess. Um, that sounds like a good guess to me. If I had to guess, I'd say Cap is going to die. No. I know. my favourite. No, I know. He, he shouldn't. He doesn't deserve it. But I think it'll be him. And I think that Tony will stick around as sort of like a Nick Fury type character. Mm. I could be, it could totally go the other way. I don't think it can be both. That would seem a little bit... That'd be crazy if they both died. But that will be once the, the gloves destroyed and the, souls, the stones destroyed, they can't bring them back. So, there will be real long-term never-returning deaths is my guess. But mm. um, my, my big question is whether Gamora can come back or not. She might be done. Which makes yeah, for a really interesting Guardians so. 3. Whew. That's it. That's Maybe they'll reverse time all the way back to when Thanos was born, kill him, <laughs> kill him and like- then we'll be in like an alternative universe where other people play, like Captain America and stuff. Do you know what? That's not a bad idea. Just like really completely alter the whole fucking thing. The Avengers never come together because there's never a need to. Thanos mm. never sends Loki to Earth. Like... That would completely fucking like change everything. Steve Rogers was never made a super soldier. It was someone else, you know? Oh, it's all goodness. completely different. Mm, that'd be very, very interesting. Earbuds, Melbourne's podcast network. Earbudsnetwork.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.